0: I went to the DMV with, like, a whole bunch of them, like, you know, S-K-8-F-S-T. And uh, i like, so, like so who would- in Virginia has skate fast? Like, somebody else had it? Like, this was f- 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 93, maybe, 95. And I went down the list of them, and I'm like, well, how about S-N-F-N-G-L-U? And she's like, no, you can have that. I'm like, okay, cool. And they came in the mail. <laughs> and I had sniffing glue as a license plate. Um.
1: hey
2: everybody welcome back to the venom skate podcast i'm your host zach madem this episode is with my longtime friend and downhill skate colleague uh, rob mckendry the third Rob has been a kind of figurehead and maybe mascot for downhill in the state of Colorado since as long as there has been anything that could be considered downhill in the state of Colorado. Uh, he organized the first major downhill race in the state, one of the only races going on in North America at the time. The U.S. Nationals of El Pass, so you'll hear about plenty later on in the show. Uh, Rob has always occupied kind of a neat role in the scene here because... He lives or has historically lived mostly in Vale or the Vale area, which is about two hours from where I live and over two big mountain passes on a highway that often has tons and tons of seasonal traffic. So it's always felt like kind of a treat when we got to meet up with him. Not that it was like too much effort to be able to make the trip, but it just always didn't seem to come together that way. So anytime Rob has made the trip out to the front range to skate with us or that we've gone on a trip or done a pass tour or something where we've ended up getting to spend some time with him. It's always just been that little bit more special because for whatever reason, psychologically, he lives a long way away. I've had some really, really great times with Rob over the years. We've done some killer trips together, some kind of hard trips together. uh, And he's always been just one of those guys who could make anybody feel comfortable in any situation. Excellent sense of humor, great storyteller, as you'll get to know for sure. And we're very grateful that he's stuck around and that we still get to see him. We met up with Rob for this show uh, the night before. He wanted to go 50 miles an hour on his 50th birthday. This was also to coincide with the kind of the release of a project that he started working on called the Safety Third Blog. You can find that at, at Safety Third Blog wherever you get your social media. You know me. I'm not really good with that stuff. But uh, it's mostly about head injuries from sport and living with traumatic brain injuries and the symptoms of them and all the things that he's exploring to Get support if you need it and uh, any health stuff that he comes along that has helped him with his symptoms and you know interviews and whatever he's digging up for other people who are working on the same issue. So it's very kind of near and dear to this podcast because it's something that we've been touching on quite a bit with these downhillers from this kind of 90s, 2000s era where maybe helmets weren't as good as they are now. They certainly weren't replaced as often as they are now. And the riding style caused riders to be standing really tall, so they hit their heads way more often than when they crashed than we do today, especially because sliding wasn't really part of the game, so it was like they were going to hang on until the wheels fell off, maybe quite literally. And it just made for a lot more brutal head slaps than riders today experience, not to say that we don't still experience them. But Rob is of a generation where he has seen, you know, in himself and in his peers a great degradation of quality of life due to the maybe the lifestyle as a whole that led to this or the after effects of of being an athlete in an extreme sport for a prolonged period and the, the ramifications of a, of a long injury list that go with that. So definitely go over and check out what he's doing, Safety Third blog. Uh, and he's really, you know, I, I'm so grateful that Rob is still around skating, still interested in contributing, and, uh, you know, we get to listen to him talk for a while longer so uh, without further ado you get to listen to him talk for a really long time because we just had too much fun with this conversation and you know hopefully we'll probably get an episode two out of him later on anyway enjoy our our roger hickey hickey yeah i listened to that one that was kind of that was kind of rough to listen to put your mic back on (laughs) so why what 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 did you give me an impression on
0: i don't know him so um I think you did kind of a long preface, too, ahead of time, didn't you, about this is who he is, he's not um, pulling any punches, he's not acting. Yeah, 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 for sure. You kind of sold it ahead of time, like, all right, this guy's kind of
2: a character. And then... uh, I don't wait till you hear the preface I do for you.
1: Oh.
0: Oh yeah, I never thought of that.
1: <laughs> Fuck.
2: Um, Everybody gets their fifteen minutes of preface, Rob. Right,
0: right. No, it was interesting to hear him. Like, um, I don't know, the history of it was cool. But he's like, he's a, uh, he's a little bit egocentric and maybe narcissistic. A little, I don't know.
1: Maybe some, some might say. I don't want to say
0: anything. I don't know the guy, some but I might. mean. It was just kind of fun. I listened to that one and then uh Cludy. The Cludy one was good, but I'm biased because a lot of the Clutie one kind of paralleled the same time I was doing downhill.
2: Right. Well and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you like Cludy all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm a fan. And that was like so and that's a big part of all this too, is like and it, and, and remember, like, we're just recording whatever we talk about here. I'm going to cut it all up, so don't worry about this being long form. But uh, so much of this is, like, for where I'm at in my career, whatever you want to call it right now, that, like, you guys are, like, the ones who, when I came into it, are, like, when I came into this scene, you were then where I am now. Where you'd like seen a a fairly good breadth of time and seen a ton of races and seen a ton of people come and go, and I don't wanna, I want to have something captured of you guys before, you know, life takes us all apart forever.
0: Right. That was the cool thing about when I was throwing away like all my old EDI shirts. I got one of them. You were exactly. You're like whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) You're throwing those away, and you're like one of the only people I know that gave sort of a regard or respect for, like, the past. Right. You know, um, and the history of it, because when it took off after, say, maybe the next 10 years after I got started, nobody cared about right. the past because the it blew up exponentially and the amount of people doing it, it was kind of... Records were getting broken, races were going on everywhere, the wheels, the trucks, the technology, the riders got better. So nobody, you'd go to places and you're like, you never heard of Gary Hardwick? Right. What do you mean? You never heard of Biker Sherlock or EDI or IGSA? Or- right,
2: and it was such an evolutionary leap from that era that no one could trace their roots back to them anymore. You know, they the their forefathers were a lot more recent.
0: Yeah, it's painful to hear that nobody knows who Cliff Coleman is.
2: Oh fuck, man! You know? And I'm so <clears throat> my ass is so chapped oh. that I like had my flights ready to go. I was going to go to the Bay Area for two days just to podcast with Cliff and Jam. Yeah, and then you know the Rona, and here we are. But
0: yeah, yeah,
2: there's because Cliff was Cliff was. uh Riled up after the Roger Hickey podcast, and he has, he has some, some bones to pick about historical accuracy that I am more than prepared to allow him to pick at great length. Plus, because, so so we'll talk about this a little bit more later, I'm sure, but something that I, have, I really enjoy romantically, especially because I wasn't there, so it's always going to be better than it really was, about kind of your era of downhill, is I think there were so few people, like so few racers... But that it seemed like almost anybody involved was a, like almost a caricature. That it was like there were no like middle of the road, you know, forgettable people. Anybody who stuck around was like such a diehard, but they were all so out there that it worked. And and I just haven't felt that anymore because there's so many more of us now that it's, it's diluted. But when it was like 20 guys. Yep. Like, when I think about the people from that era, I think about, you know, you and Mm Clutie and fucking John Rogers and Cliff and the guys who I know from that era. Like, they all really stand out singularly as human beings. You only had, like,
0: but like you said, you only had 20 or 30 people back then because now you still have all those same great characters, but now you have 3,000, you know. And they're kind of lost
2: in the sauce.
0: But back then, I remember, like, when I. Those 30, a lot of the California guys were like part-time stuntmen. You know, they were um, bricklayers and roofers and they had crazy jobs. They were surfers, but they were also like former um, cowboys, you know, and they were rowdy types. And I don't know, kind of seemed like you said characters, characters larger than life. And I don't know if that was because we were. Not we, they, because it was like, Orton. You know, right. He was he was an old guy when I got into it, but he was one of the top guys. Right. You know, and the Rogers brothers, they were older guys too. Everybody was a little older. Biker, Gary, Hardwick, um, you know, and uh, Mallard.
2: Right. Oh, you're talking about with Danny. You know, at at Barrett this year that. Because, you know, Danny's somebody who I've always identified with a little bit because he he was kind of the kid when he showed up, and I kind of felt the same way.
1: Yep. And then it
2: was kind of strange that in that era, like talking to Cludy, that I was like, Cludy picked up a downhill board at 35. Yeah. But that everybody in that time was uh, like a a fully-fledged adult. Yeah. And it wasn't like a squad of, you know, 20-somethings rolling around on trust funds, you know, before they got their life together. Like, these were... Dudes who'd had careers and shit. The reason I got into it was I saw
0: Cludy at the Gravity Games, and I thought, what was that What year? It was 99? I'm Maybe. sure it's in the Nin- Cludy podcast. <clears throat> so so Cludy is at the starting line, and he's already like 30, 35. I yeah. don't know what he was. And everybody he was racing was the same age, right around 30, 35. I mean, the youngest guy, maybe like a Van Bommel was like 25 or something. I don't know. Right. I, I forget the ages. But everybody was older, and it made me feel like I had, oh, there was something I could do. I'm like looking at it going, I can do that. Right? right. And, you know, those guys look big and out of shape, too. You know, you had <laughs> Caveman and the Dregs team. They were a bunch of, I don't know, burnout-looking surfers. I was a burnout myself, so I kind of gravitated toward the sport. Looking at Clouty's eyes, all glazed over, and um, all the dregs guys look like dirt bags, and they're just standing on their boards, waving to the camera. Like, this is the gravity games? What the hell is this? Because I'd already been skating a lot and and for years, just using it as transportation. I'm like, these guys are just going down the hill like I go down the hill to go to work. because they were only doing like 35, 40 miles an hour. Right. That was...
2: Okay, so let's... Delaware? This, this is good opportunity. Let's kick it all the way back. Do you remember what your first skateboard was? Or the first time you rode a skateboard? I keep asking this to everybody because it's, it, it's so far everybody has remembered.
0: Yeah, it was a yellow plastic California Freeformer. Um, it had like a... Kicktail, no grip tape. It, it had the, you know, molded kicktail. Yeah, yeah. No grip tape. It had the textured, like, X's.
2: Yeah, like a waffle. Like yeah.
0: A- I lived in Kansas, so it was all flat. Is
2: that where you're from
1: originally?
0: No, I was a military brat, so okay. moved around a lot. Three different high schools, probably three different elementary schools, two different junior highs. Kind of explains a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the skateboarding thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it was transportation for a big part of that, like.
2: So was that freeform or yours? Or was it? Yeah. Else's?
0: No, that was mine. I got okay. that in like say eighty, seventy-nine, eighty.
2: And you like, and that that followed you around.
0: That was my board for like, shit. What was that? It's like ten, ten years old. So yeah, until um, we moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And that's where in, like, street skating, I had really started to see, like, I guess, 80s. Like, this started the 80s street skating scene, early 80s with, like, Rocco and oh, that whole Bones Brigade thing. And that skateboard turned into transportation and then street skating. Boneless is downtown Baltimore trying to throw yourself into a wall, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, so that, that was, that was my whole thing of launch ramps and street skating doesn't, it's, you can't do that very long without getting really messed up. Like vert skaters are still doing it downhill guys. I mean, but street skating, like trying to,
2: oh, it's impact heavy. I mean, yeah. it's just not practical.
0: I see guys now who like, you know, the slappy thing has come back. Slappy yeah. is a huge over the last like decade. And I see a lot of old guys just doing some. Phenomenal stuff. But I also see him like, eating it hard. And, like, these guys got to go to work. They got kids. They got guts. And they're still trying to do, you know, like, curb tricks and stuff. Like You don't come away from high side, you know, to your wrist or your... your, Yeah. Not for me. So I just did it as, like, getting around for a while. And, uh yeah, bombing hills. Bombing hills around Baltimore... And yeah, we lived at the bottom of a hill in suburbia. So yeah, going to the mall, you know. I probably had a pretty good mall grab.
2: <laughs> Think about it. Probably. Yeah.
0: I definitely had the, the skater flip, you know, the peroxide. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you know what your deck was? Or your, like, if you like, if you remember any of them?
0: I had a couple of them, but I liked Alva's and Skull Skates. Cool. And, uh, cool.
2: Turn that noise off.
0: Yeah. Alva, Skull Skates, um, GNS. I can't. That's, that's probably about it. Are these the ones. Do they turn blue?
2: They are blue. Look at how blue they are. Yeah. They, they that turn, mountain is
0: blue as fuck. Yeah, they, they like fade out when they uh, get warm, I guess. I did uh, stand up. I did open mic night at a comedy club once. Not even a comedy club. It was a basement in, uh, in Colfax. Like, I was...
2: When was this? I was
0: heartbroken, and I wanted to, like... So this is 20... Kill somebody or somebody... This is 2014?
1: Yeah, yeah, probably right <laughs> around there. there. Yeah,
0: and uh, I went to Colfax for a comedy night. I signed up. I went up. I saw the white light and just went blank. I forgot, like, all my material I had written down. And um, there was another comic in there who was blind. He was—he um, did the open mic thing and blind, he was blind. So it's right when these Coors-like cans came out that change color to let you know when they're cold. And one of my jokes was, hey, how does the blind guy know if the beer is cold or not if he can't see it turn blue? And nobody applauded. And one guy in the back goes, yeah, make fun of the blind guy. And I was like, that's my time I told like one joke I bombed terribly I was like so bad but
1: yeah
2: so, so on a common thread because I don't know how this is going to slot into the longboarding story but I, I just want everybody to know um, so you've you've had a variety of careers but at one time uh, you were a radio DJ if I'm not mistaken I was where was, was that in Rochester
0: I worked in radio in
2: Baltimore, Baltimore,
0: and in Virginia Beach, and Richmond, and Charlottesville. So I worked at um, WYYY Baltimore. I worked at three WB ninety seven point five, three WB W W W B Charlottesville. <laughs> I worked at XL102, WROXL, FM, and I worked at 96 Rock, Cape Charles, Hampton, WROX WROXFM, and I worked at FM99, WNOR. And that's pretty much what brought me out to Colorado, was to work at KBPI. Yes. I was going to work at oh, KBPI sick. in Denver, but the government deregulated radio and Businesses or companies could own more than one radio station in the market, and it changed uh, radio forever. Then it just
2: like one co- Then I was like, five companies own all radio stations. Yep.
0: Put them under one roof, get rid of... Because before,
2: you had to have like one DJ for every local radio station, whereas now it's all syndicated bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like I hear the same DJ on 10 radio stations in sure. 10 states.
0: Yeah. And I did that for a while as well. I did, the, uh, I did country. I don't know anything about country music. But, you know, news, sports, traffic, and weather. And then every once in a while, you're like,
2: uh, here's Trace Adkins? Yeah, he's still killing he's still <laughs> it, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when <laughs> Trace... So this is funny, Rob. Like, you haven't been around us for a little while. Like, the last time you were, like, around downhill skateboarding on a regular basis or around events or whatever, we were probably all into, like, gangster rap. Uh, we're all... All we listen to is pop country now. <laughs> like, all we blast out of rental cars that races all over the world is is heinous oh, pop country music. Yeah, I can't get enough of it.
0: I, I could see that. I could see that. You you guys go off the deep end with a bunch of different stuff. I have, I have, <laughs> that isn't the understatement of the decade. I don't know. Oh. I, I never know what I'm going to get um, at skateboard races anymore. If there's going to be like, you know, fires or flour, or we got to be in bed al- at a certain. There's always going to be
2: fires. There hasn't been flour in about twelve years, but I'm not saying it's too soon for a comeback. Antiquing, yeah, that was a good one. Um But I would like to, if you, so, I'd like you to enlighten the viewers or listeners uh as to how your career in radio came to an end.
0: Um. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, I think you're trying to get me to tell you I'm some...
2: fishing for a particular <laughs> yeah. story. So No, there are others, because like, I remember pretty much everything I've ever I
0: heard. I got fired a few times. Okay, because
2: I... there was one time where I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't heard this story in at least 10 years. Uh, a guest on the radio station uh, was the artist Jewel.
0: Oh, Jewel, that's a different story. Yeah, that, <laughs> Oh, I thought you were talking about... Oh, I
2: want to hear that one, too. We'll so Jewel,
0: Jewel, we had Jewel, I had Jewel in the studio, and um, she was doing uh, Who Will Save Your Soul and playing her songs and the guitar and talking about being homeless, and she had just come out, I think it was like 1993 or 4, and she was on tour with Peter Murphy. She was playing that night and i was interviewing her she left the studio and i said you know be sure to check out jewel tonight open it up for peter murphy over at the boathouse and uh guys she's pretty easy on the eyes you know she's kind of attractive um i pulled the microphone into my face and i was i said oh i'm sniffing jewel's stool and i think they were in the car on their way away from the radio station if they hadn't left the parking lot yet. And they heard that, and they made the phone call to say, you know, who the hell is this guy, and what is he, you know, and I got in trouble for that. But the the one I thought you were talking about was Susan, who was it, Susan Smith, I think was her name, or Susan Smith, maybe. She drowned her two kids in South Carolina. Uh, and you guys might...
2: Where she like drove her car into the lake,
0: like yeah. So the thing was though, she was around for like four or five days, claiming a black man had carjacked her, and the kids were in the back seat, and she didn't know what happened to her babies, and the whole area was looking for these kids, and it was big news where I lived in Virginia Beach, because we mid-Atlantic bordered North Carolina, I think that was where it went down, Union, whatever. So. I was on the radio when it came out that they discovered the car in the lake and she came clean or whatever with the fact that she had put the boys in the car and drove them into the pond and uh, I said well maybe she was just exercising her right to choose <laughs> and a bunch of people called in to tell me they wanted to kill me.
1: <laughs> and,
0: um, I drew the curtains on the radio station studio. And, um,
1: <laughs> the
0: radio station manager called me to tell me, like, know what the hell are you doing? You got all these phone calls. People are pissed off at you. You got to go on the air and apologize. And I went on the radio and I said, you know, hey, I, I know I upset a bunch of people and i just like to say that, I'm sorry, mommy. I thought we were going to McDonald's. And, uh... <laughs> That got me fired. <laughs> I was like, McDonald's like threatened to pull their advertising. I got hired like a week later at the other competing rock station. So and that was the one where I had the Jewel story. You know, that, the, the Susan Smith around and her kids was prior to Jewel. And I used to get in trouble for, um, yeah, just saying saying stuff that I shouldn't say.
2: So, on a similar thread from Virginia Beach, uh, tell me about sniffing glue.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those were my tags. <laughs> so, I, when I, I met Rob,
2: the first time I we went to his house in his bathroom, there was a license plate, a Virginia license plate, uh, and it was S S N F N G L U, So, yeah. sniffing glue. Yeah. My, mom, my I, mom thought it was snuffle up, I guess. She couldn't figure it out. She was like, what's sniffing glue?
0: And, uh. Yeah, as I went to the DMV with, like, a whole bunch of them, like, you know, SK8FST, and uh, i like, So like, so who like in would- Virginia has skate fast? Like, somebody else had it? Like, this was f- f- 93, maybe, 95, and I went down the list of them, and I'm like, well, how about SNFNGLU? And she's like, no, you can have that. I'm like, okay, cool. And they came in the mail. <laughs> and I had sniff and glue as a license plate. Um, for how
1: long? For like
0: five, six years. Because I renewed them all the time. I didn't want to like, lose until them. Until you moved to Colorado. Yeah, I had them in Colorado for sure. I had them in Colorado. They're in my room, actually, right over there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Sniff and Glue plates. That's what I was cover at the, of This
2: for sure is Rob holding that license plate. But. I was
0: on the. I was at the pump one time, and some it, people would always say, "Oh, nice plates. Yeah, those are funny. Nice plates." And somebody said it to me one time, and I just kind of like shrugged it off. And I looked over, and she had C N Double C N D B L. Oh, nice. So Sniff and Glue and C N Double were at the pumps together for it was. It was a moment.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, well, shit, man. You got it. That's part of it. You got to have fun. That was the whole thing with like getting into skateboarding too, was like hanging out with you knuckleheads until like I started getting older and I was always having fun doing this, cr- you know, crazy like jokes and being a prankster. And then you get older and then the new kids come up and you're like, Shh, don't shoot me with your airsoft gun, damn it. <laughs> Trying to sit over here and watch the sunset. <laughs> I remember, and I won't say the name, but I remember people like really losing their shit over you guys at Mary Hill having those wars too. Uh,
2: it was a simpler time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a better time.
1: Oh, All right,
2: so ninety, so ninety-three, like, so where does longboarding come into the picture? Because like, so at, at some point you're in Baltimore, you're like raising hell with knuckleheads on your on yeah. an Alva board. Where do you start like where does the longboard and the soft wheels come into the picture?
0: Um, the pal Noka Oi. Um, I got that in Virginia Beach from one of the surf shops out of a garbage can nice. for like 30 bucks. I think it was slightly warped.
2: Wait, you had to pay 30 bucks to get it out of the garbage can? Yeah,
0: out of the... Well, they had that WRV, Wave Riding Vehicles, at the front door. They had a little garbage can with all their sale items in oh, it. Oh, okay. Like, you know... Got it. it. So, yeah, I got that thing. Um, Rode it up and down the boardwalk in Virginia Beach. Early mornings, dolphins, sunrise, late at night, drunks, bars. Up and down the boardwalk, all the time on that, that Powell board. Um... Yeah, that was that was transportation to go back and forth to work to the bars. I'd go down to the hotels at the ocean front. Um early in the morning, like I said, dolphins and then hit all the free continental breakfast that I could at the different hotels. Nice. Um yeah, loading my pockets with fruit and donuts. Um that was that Powell board and then there was uh there was a hurricane I remember like hanging out offshore for a while in virginia off north carolina and i went and i made a sail and i i got some dowel rods some like small dowel rods in a cardboard box and i went shooting across the parking lot and then took it out to the boardwalk ended up going down the coastal highway they were evacuating the area because of high surf warnings and high wind and I was the You're only like, thing ha, ha,
2: wind power skateboard go yep. I, was, <laughs>
0: I was the only thing on the road and I ducked off the road into a ditch I remember when a, a state trooper was coming at me. I hid, got back on the road, and I got down to like the border of Virginia and North Carolina on the eastern shore and I had to call a buddy to come pick me up.
2: It's like how far is that?
0: I think it was like thirty miles. Holy shit. I think it was like wow. <laughs> yeah. But you know when you get cooking on the thing, I remember getting cooking on the thing, and um, you don't care. You don't realize that you're just eating up the road. Right. I, I I would look at the map too to tell you. I mean, I could look at it for like from where I left my house. I think it was, it was probably just right around thirty miles.
2: It's pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that board took me around to like Skyline Drive, Virginia. Um, And then out to here in Vail, when I moved out here in Vail, uh, out here to Colorado, um, every one of these neighborhoods. I mean, you came up to this house, you put your board down outside on my driveway, and you can ride, you know, downhill, crazy turn, crazy turn, into the roundabout, down here. I mean, I can see... You can see all the way over there where that other hotel is across the highway. You can ride all the way down to there without pushing. And you can see that the bus is coming and know that you can run, grab your board, get out of here, and make it to the bus stop. Sick. You know, it's So this whole, that's when it really took off was moving here because.
2: So what year did you move here?
0: Um, 95.
2: Okay, and when did you meet Skip? <sighs> Probably 96. So listener Skip is Skip Marcotte, who you would know from uh, Turnco skate products and upcycled products and like some of the coolest art and grip tape and all that stuff. Check him out. I'll, I'll make sure to put his Instagram handle in the intro to this episode, but uh, excellent dude.
0: He painted my Harley. Right. My Harley in the garage. You can take a picture of
2: that. We will. Um, sure. Skip and I... So you met Skip. And and you were just like living here doing the like, ski bum type thing, like working some kind of. You, and you were cooking at the time. Snow
0: bum. I've never skied in my okay. life.
2: Excuse
0: me. Sorry. That uh, was.
2: I thought that was a. I thought that was a catch all. Uh, yeah. That is my apology. Yeah, that's... But were you like? So you were cooking?
0: Yeah, cooking, waiting tables. Actually, I came here for a, a week with some friends, and I think on the fourth day, I decided I was going to stay here. Because the job in Denver fell through. KBPI was not going to happen. So I moved everything from Virginia out to work at KBPI. That blew up. And I'm like, well, I'll just go snowboarding. And I... Asked for a job as a waiter in a restaurant and they laughed at me because it was January and they're like, there's no way we're taking on you. We can't train you. This right, is it's high season. Like they really eat veterans that time of year. Yeah. And the chef rolled up and was like, can you hold a saute pan? I'm like, yeah. So I started cooking, um, slept on, well, I slept in my car for a little while until people realized I was sleeping in my car and it was like 15 degrees out. So, I got a couch, and then, then uh, you know, i worked my way up to this mansion that you're in. Also, right it's like, I love
2: the, at the time, like, Rob had, like, when I met Rob, this car was really on its last legs, but it was probably beat to shit back then, too. It was a Mitsubishi Montero that, like, could barely drive from here to the gas station, and I love the image of, like, You'd see that car, you'd be like, oh, look at that car with the sniff and glue license plate. Oh, of course someone's sleeping in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I went to uh, I went to ditch slap one time from here and I was between apartments or places to live, but I had everything I owned in that. And um, went down to ditch slap and I was getting my board ready to go take a run and I had to like push my Stereo equipment out of the way, like my home stereo, my right, like my house speakers, d- big lamps. receiver and- I had a lamp, you know. Like, <laughs> there was probably an ottoman. If I had an ottoman, would have been there in there as well. But everything I owned was in that damn car and drove down to ditch slap to go.
2: Yeah, that that was a that was a fun ride. Um, so you saw, so you saw Rick Cloutier on the Gravity Games, like on TV. Was that the first time you saw like a speedboard? Yep. And uh
0: well I mean no because you saw like ABC Sports in the 70s you know there were okay. people like Catalina was I mean were those speed boards I mean there was slalom I mean, and contemporary I mean you call it whatever yeah. you want but it was down you saw down I saw I knew of downhill I knew of downhill and then um when I saw the gravity games I had um I'd already been skating hills as a kid and had been pushing around on that Powell board, Um, then once you saw the Gravity Games, you're like, well, these guys are as old as I am. They're all, you know.
2: Right, they were adults.
0: And they've all come from surfing or, you know, skateboarding history for sure. I had already been snowboarding. I mean, I started snowboarding in 82, so I'd been snowboarding a lot longer than I had been really longboarding.
2: So in '82, what what was a snowboard like? What board were you riding?
0: Burton Backhill.
2: Okay, right, you're an East Coast guy.
0: Yeah, we had the Burton with the metal fins on the on the outside with the rope up front. Was right. that the Backhill? I think that it was. sounds it was a, sounds uh, plausible. Yeah. Chris <laughs> Pappas would know. Yeah, but... um, that we would uh, bomb the power lines. You know, you'd go hike up into the power lines we were doing those and then eventually Sims Sims Kemper Burton and we were going to the east coast Pennsylvania ski areas and they had never even really heard of snowboarding cuz this was again this Right was like you 80, like live in
2: the era where like snowboarding wasn't <clears throat> allowed and like Right
0: 83 84 85 um, ski Roundtop. Um, Ski Liberty and uh, Massanutten, Wintergreen, all of those places, which 15 years later I went back and skated a lot of the roads that go up to those places. Cool. The snowboarding there sucks. It's the worst <laughs> of the world. But if you go skate the hills that go up to like the, the Blue Ridge, the, the mountains around or the road around Wintergreen, I, I'm sure there's people bombing it all the time. But I was doing it in, I was doing it on a dregs with cherry bombs and randalls. I can't imagine like So, so how now.
2: do you get? So you saw the gravity games on TV and you were like, I could probably do this. What was the path from there to doing it?
0: Uh, buying, buying into bikers club.
2: So how did you buy in? How did you find? Uh, how did you find biker?
0: That was just like the dawn of internet.
2: So was this so. NCDSA?
0: Uh, no, Biker had Dregs.
2: Okay, so Dregs had a website.
0: Yeah, Dregs had a website, and he had Chalice. He was selling, like... Yeah, he, he had his Dregs downhill. I think he had, like, a couple other boards. But that Gravity Games was all Dregs. That Gravity... I mean, there were a couple, like... Lee Danzy was there. Right, so Lee Limo. Danzy would have been
2: on a GNS. Yeah. Uh, that, there was that German guy with the blue and yellow oh. shit leathers so who for Land Yachts.
0: No, Land Yachts wasn't around then. Because I, 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 I raced I raced Tom in the amateur division for right, EDI. Yeah, Land Yachts.
2: Right, 99 couldn't have been yet. Uh, right, because Cluedy was on a dregs board. Yeah.
0: TVS? TVS. Terminal Velocity Skateboards, yeah, TVS. TVS that was, was there. Gary's...
2: Madrid. Sean Mallard had a pro model in, uh. in 98.
0: Yep, and um, I don't know if Afro Man was around back then. I, Afro Man
2: was later, Afro Man came after Gary Hardwick passed away.
0: Yeah, but there, was, there wasn't many. There was Dregs, there was TVS. Dregs was the only one with the website. I bought a Dregs race board, Dregs downhill trucks, or I'm sorry, Randall downhills. Yep. And, and Cherry Bombs. Cherry Bombs. Heck.
2: And I went. Pizza? Me, Shall we? Yeah, I'll just put that on top. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Thank you. Now um, you may talk. I was
0: up w- near uh, where the plane crash was, too, the other day. Bail Pass plane crash. Yeah, before you kids and your helicopters,
2: we had, <laughs> <laughs> we had a plane go down. Um, I was, okay, but did you hire the plane? We were hanging out <laughs> talking to the hired. That's
0: kind of important. We were talking to the hired first responders. We had the fire department, ambulance, and one of the town councilmen talking about where we were going to put everybody. Uh huh. And while we're talking up on Vale Pass, this plane comes in in
1: here,
0: <laughs> like the motor just cutting out. We all of just watched it like slowly get lower and lower. Now you're right, Rob. This pizza fucking sucks.
2: Is it, <laughs> is it bad? It's fine, but it's. Pizza in this town is bad.
1: <laughs> mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's
2: decent, but. Okay, so mm. we're gonna get there in chronological order, but so just take me back. So you mm. got your Dregs race board, mm. your Randall Downhills, cherry bombs. Cherry bombs. And like you got all that shit like mm. in the mail off the internet. Yep. Uh, Leathers? Technique.
0: Okay. I went down to the motorcycle shop on South Broadway. Um, Technique leathers. Red, white, black. Motorcycle. Hunched over. A lot of
2: pad. Armor. Vented. And 700 bucks. Oh. Yeah. Holy shit. Like 700 bucks in 1999. God damn.
0: So... Took all that out to, um, Highway 131 by State Bridge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And. That Battle Mountain. No, know, this is, uh, out here on your way to Steamboat. So you go down I-70, make a right, go out towards the Flat Tops, and there's a road that gets up to,
2: like, a good... 45, 50, but not on your first, very first day. You're very and, like, before this, like, your hill bombing experience was, like, riding the Powell board into town.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love
2: this. Like, yeah. everybody from this era has, the, like, it's a thread that binds you all together. It's like, you bought your first downhill board, and you just went to, like, the biggest hill you mm-hmm. knew and just pointed it. And we're like, this must be how I do it, right? Well, like, <laughs> around I the, saw the guy on the TV. <laughs> around the
0: neighborhood,
2: you could... Run it
0: out into somebody's yard. Right. Even if, even if you were, you know, 18, 22 miles per hour faster than you can run, you knew there were hedges and Right, like Texas soft two-step grass. into
2: the lawn is
0: fine. Mm. But out where I was, it was ravines and big rocks and sagebrush all lining the edges of the road. I never got to the edge of the road. I think I got up to like 30, 35 maybe. And um, went over the handlebars right to the chin bar of my new helmet, bounced off the pavement, bounced off my chest, and um, didn't, didn't like speedboarding at all. It was a bad <laughs> time. <laughs>
2: it was really stupid. Um, but like, I got to respect the gumption mm-hmm. of, like, of the folks of your generation who, you didn't have like a friend get you into this. You just, like, knew it existed and, like, had to have a piece. But you could
0: um, look at the trucks and go, okay, well, these things aren't going to turn until they're, like, 35, 40, 45 miles an hour. So you had to take it to a big hill. You couldn't,
2: like... Had you, to. You, you could, couldn't take it to a small straight hill where nope. you didn't need to turn and feel it out.
1: Well, You're just, just like, streets. I'm not going to be able
2: to turn until it's a fast turn, so I need to find me some of them.
0: <laughs> I don't even know if it was... Um, the, the the black urethane that was in there for bushings, mm. those wheels, like the whole setup that down what were those thirty-five degrees? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you you take it out in the driveway and you'd lean on it and the board would go straight, you know, you just lean yourself. Right, right you could off. scarcely
2: ride around the roundabout on thirty five
0: thirty five. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that trip out to State Bridge or Highway one thirty one, I bounced off of my new helmet and scuffed my new leathers. Made me um, decide I either was going to stop doing it and sell everything, because I, like you said, I didn't have anybody to show me how to do it, right. or I was going to go somewhere and learn how to do it. And EDI Bikers Organization Dregs had a race series. It was a California. I think it was all California at the time, but the um, the first race unless I, you
2: count the Gravity Games.
0: Yeah, this would have been pre-Gravity Games.
2: So, Wait, okay, hold on. How could it have been pre-Gravity Games? Oh, I'm sorry. No, if you found out about it through the This would have... Games? Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, EDI. What was the... What were we talking about? The First <laughs> race? Well, yeah, so you found out about EDI. And, you, and they had a race race. It was mostly California.
0: The, the re, the, what I got hung up on was the race I went to. I was racing in the amateur division, trying to get up to the pros. The pros were trying to get into the Gravity Games. My focus was just learning how to ride the thing, and I didn't know there were two divisions, I guess. And the amateur kids were,
2: yeah, they were trying to get up into the pro ranks. like with. So do you remember what it took to go from amateur to pro in EDI? There were rules, but... Everybody who came up and got close kind
0: of got grandfathered in. It right. seemed like you had to, you know, write a letter, mm-hmm. petition, or... I got this from
2: Danny Connor that he, like, didn't go to enough. Like, the criteria was some, like, number of podiums or something in, in a right. season. And it was like you had to get a podium at three races, but three of the races, but there were only six races, and three of them were in Europe. Yeah. So if you didn't get to all three and podium all three... so But he wrote a letter... And they were, like, sending one back that was, like, because of your exceptional performance at this race and this race, you, you've been granted pro status.
0: And I think that's that's what kind of opened the door
2: for others of us.
0: We were, like, well, Danny got in for doing this. You know, why do we have to go to? Because Tom Edstrand was <clears throat> Chapit, myself. Um, there were a handful of us that were, like, Sh- shit. Jody. Mm-hmm. Rizzo, JM, we would all, we were in the AMS, and you'd go to an event, you'd get your top three finish, your podium, but between like, I'd say eight of us, we were trading it out, there was no way mathematically, like between the eight of us, it was only like, like you said, maybe five or six races during a season, that any one of us could podium, or to, yeah, go to pro the, the following season. Right. Um, Because we were all just trading out podium finishes, or it became who had the money, right, or who had the freewheeling lifestyle to make it to all these events. Connor was a kid, you know, so his dad was taking him to him. He had that advantage. Um,
2: So which, so what EDI race did you make it out to first?
0: Campo. Campo was an Indian
2: reservation. So I, I've i heard almost nothing about this race. I've heard about Mammoth. I've heard mm. about Pikes Peak. What yeah. was up with Campo?
0: Campo was...
2: We got some photos of it that Danny gave us, but...
0: Campo, I didn't realize I was on the hill when I went out ahead of time to check it out. So I went... I And I didn't know any of the rules, any of bikers, like, you can't check out the hill ahead of time. or I was just like, I'm loading up a... Bunch of my gear going out there, seeing whether or not I can figure out how to ride it, or am I gonna sell it? Because, uh, I had that so so at
2: this point, you had like tried to ride, mm-hmm. eating shit on your face, and like th- and hadn't ridden since, just like packed it up and were like, fuck yeah. it, going to a race.
0: Yeah, I didn't know, um, <laughs> yes, I didn't have uh, a closed course, was a big deal. Yeah, you know, if yeah. You okay. to, if your board could only really turn or perform at like 35, 45 miles an hour. Can't really do that around here, you know, or in the neighborhood. Um, I didn't know how to do it either. So I would go to the source, those guys I saw in the Gravity Games. Well, they were all getting together at Campo. You had all those guys, Biker and his team Drags and Rick Clutie and Caveman. And they were all going to be at Campo. Because they wanted to qualify for the Gravity Games. And then the other minions in the amateur division wanted to come up. I think it was this is ridiculous, too. It was probably like $100. You get a t-shirt. Um, and I went in to the field of all Californians. They called me Colorado. I remember showing up in the rental car out of Campo. Um, and again, you didn't know where the hill was because it was such a slight hill. It was just a gradual, long, descending, sweeping left with maybe a little bit of a right at the bottom. Right. It was it was Barely a, a hill. terrible hill. Um, so I hung out with Caveman and uh, he told me to keep my mouth shut and just watch what he was doing and I might learn something. Um, that was... a that was kind of a cavey thing, so Dave Bryant caveman was kind of took me under his wing. Um, everybody out there knew me as Colorado because nobody else was from Colorado at the time. I showed up not knowing anything on your market set go, kicked like a mule, got out in front, could not believe I was leading in my first race. like this hill is not challenging at all. I'm totally going to win this. And out of the corner of my eye, three guys lined up in a draft in a freight train, just went by me and left me all alone. And I learned drafting right away. But I also learned I could make that long sweeping left and the right and get to the finish line. Um, what, was the sh- what was the shutdown like? I can't remember how I stopped.
1: <laughs> I, can't,
0: I, can't, I can't remember how I stopped. I don't think I had a foot footbreak then. I mean, you would have had some
2: footbreak uh, from just, like, being a skateboarder. Those cherry bombs that. you
0: didn't drift. Yeah, I must have foot... I was doing the foot brake for sure. Slide gloves? No. no. Nobody has slide gloves yet. No. No.
2: No slide gloves. <laughs> no. I started making my own, but I can't remember even when that happened. And, like, the fucked up thing about that whole deal is, like, everybody you have talked to so far has had this same thread about, like, oh, yeah, we didn't have slide gloves until, like, 03. Mm-hmm. But... It's not that slide gloves didn't exist or that they weren't widely recognized mm-hmm. as existing. Like, Bones Brigade Video Show was, like, one of the most popular videos ever made. And they had slide gloves in it. Right. Like, But the hills <laughs> we were doing weren't sliding.
0: You weren't sliding anything. There were no... Because bikers' races were all high-speed draft, the American-style races. So the Euro guys were the ones who were using slide gloves. You had Manu. Right. And you had, you know... Right, like
2: the Frenchies, they like to pendy.
0: Yeah, and then um, Freeman, Daryl, he had some big welding gloves, Mm -hmm. and there was some video footage of him on uh, the Monkey. I remember doing Mm -hmm. stand-up slides that were like 60, 80 feet, just huge stand-up slides. So those were the guys who were just starting to bring it into the EDI race world. EDI America was... Big fast hills. Now, Pikes Peak, EDI days, it had like two turns. Um, Mammoth EDI days, big sweeping right. Yeah. You know, um, the Vale Pass race we did here, everything was everything was long and big and fast. So it was drafting. It wasn't any like. Sliding around corners, even, you know, the gravity games. Um, and then I don't remember seeing, like, Manu in South Africa, he was drifting around corners. Um, that's what I really remember seeing around, like, South Africa around 2000,
2: 2002 people really using slide gloves um so okay so in racing let me slow this down a little bit because you like this is jumping ahead so you went to campo and like after campo you were like all right i'm not selling it i can do this right but then what happened like you had to go home and go back to your same shit mm-hmm. like well up here at Vale pass you have um
0: an abandoned highway so i started working out up there a lot more with like the draft, or not the draft, but more my tuck, you know, because I didn't really have anybody to draft, but I also signed up for more races.
2: At the, the time, I, you were, as uh, Pete Connolly put it, prayer tucking. Um, yeah, I was doing the, you know, That's prayer, like back knee down, hands
0: forward. Praying mantis. Yeah. Um, yeah, and hands forward. But I was doing that too, I, I was varying that up. I think I was really locked into my, my hands behind my back. He's, uh, he's referring to Ohio, too. Okay. Because that would have been, what, 2004, 2005 in Ohio? Uh, it says 03 here. Yeah. Though he might have been talking about 04. But that, that hands forward for me came from Maryhill.
2: Okay.
0: The hand, I started bringing my hands forward at Maryhill because in all of those turns, I felt like I could channel the air around myself better with my hands forward going into, like, you know, the never ending right or Cowsers. You feel like that air, like, there were a lot of things I was doing kind of different, trying to take, an, take advantage over
2: people that just turned out it wasn't, it wasn't any bigger advantage. Well, and that's the crazy thing about this time is, like, you were maybe the only person speedboarding in the state of Colorado Mm -hmm. in the year 2000. So, you were just, like, out there on Vail Pass just, like, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what stuck Mm -hmm. for you. And then taking it out to the next race and, like, getting to try it there against some other people. So, like, you went to Mammoth in 2000. That would have been, yeah. Danny Connors
0: there chap it's there and you're still you're amateur. you're racing amateur yep and the uh, the bullies the the pros they were all the bullies orton threw an elbow at me I remember it coming into the finish line um, <laughs> mega attitudes lots of chest
2: puffing you know and God there must have been like and at this point too I mean like I know gravity games was like big money and it was a thing but like how many people were showing up to a race speedboard there were
0: Twenty of us luge. There was a hundred and twenty. <laughs>
2: right, and that's so crazy to me. Like this is a part of the narrative that's totally glossed over, and I want to. I need to get some luge guys on here to tell me about what that was like, because there had to have been a whole like ecosystem of what luge racing was at the time. Yeah, it but was, it seems like somehow a lot of the best stand-up guys were also the best luge guys. Mallard. Uh, De Kaiser. Danzi.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: You know, so that's kind of Chap interesting it. to me, right? So that out of a field of 120 luge guys, like ten of the guys from stand-up were still in the top ten in luge. Yeah, but yeah. it's crazy for me to think about that now because it's the, obviously it's the opposite these days. But when I see pictures from Mammoth, I see that like I see yeah, like a picture of barely four heats of stand-up. But the pictures, for whatever reason, because they were taken by stand-up guys, they don't show the like legion of luge dudes.
0: Yeah, and that, that I don't know why it dropped off either because. We all, it, it got to the point for a while that the Luge guys were like, man, you guys are crazy looking at us in stand-up. You, you, when I was doing stand-up, you're looking at the Luge guys, and they're all, like I said, kind of puffing their chests out. They're those former California stuntmen. You know, you had Tom Mason and Luge and Stein, and they had kind of big... Luge you know, still coming around. Uh-huh, yeah. It's I awesome. saw him with his bolts in his neck. Um, so they would look at us and stand up and they're like you guys are nuts and all i could think was like you guys are you guys are out of your minds you can't see anything you're going to break your legs you know oh yeah you know, i mean like, at
2: this point like luge i think is it's so much easier to start out with than stand up because you don't have to have any balance i mean it's like it's literally a downhill bed but you like you couldn't pay me to ride luge on an open road
0: and and that you know, once we started figuring out slide gloves and cornering and we could take the roads faster than the street luge, luge really kind of took a back seat. People started dropping off from luge and it, it was kind of like a low, uh, an old guy sport too. Right. We called it the lowest form of racing. You know? It's it was almost, like oh
2: wow, that's amazing. It's almost too bad that the like, back then it was all pegged luges too. Mm-hmm. So they're so long that there was like hardly ever a passing zone long enough to make mm-hmm. a pass. And I think maybe if pegless had come in a little sooner, maybe it could have been more exciting.
0: Yeah, and, and,
2: and the the equipment changed luge. I mean, it looked like
0: that big boom, you know, was just so cumbersome for any kind of passing and stuff. Yeah. You know, to see a guy on a pegless luge actually lift his legs over another guy's head to make a move. You oh, know, my God. Ga- I mean,
2: watching Andy Lally on the the yeah. Newton's nation live stream in like 2012 foot breaking so hard as mm-hmm. front wheels are coming off the ground and then like sticking it back down, like head on the headrest and rail in the corner was tough as fuck.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a beauty to all kinds of racing. I mean, shopping carts, um, dogs. Well, like I've talked but... about
2: this in, in a bunch of these podcasts that like I still maintain that like in, in terms of skateboarding as a whole, like racing came first and it will endure as in all sports like it's the old the old proverb like when did the first bicycle race happen as soon as the second bicycle was completed right you know and that when you were a kid like your friend gets a skateboard and you don't know anything about tricks the most natural thing to do is you go to the top of the hill and see who gets to the bottom first so like racing anything will always be compelling right the the question you were asking about
0: like how did i get into downhill i that's the whole thing it's like even back in the day with that California Freeformer, it was like trying to find the only hill you could find. Right. It wasn't... I had no idea or knowledge of 360s spinning a three or nose walking or any of the old school 70s tricks
2: like walking the dog or... Right. You were going to have to like happen upon an issue of Action Now magazine that happened to have skateboarding in it to learn about any of that stuff. But if I stand on it and it goes down this hill... And you're on one and I'm
0: on one, I'm gonna try and beat you to the bottom of the hill. And I lived at the bottom of the hill in my neighborhood, so after I'd skate with everybody, I still had to make my way home. And that was that was where I remember bombing hills and, you know, catching a rock and ending up in your neighbor's bushes. Mm-hmm. Um and that was that was my early introduction of it, and I think the speed board, too, when I was telling you about that highway, that, there was that same feeling. I was like, oh, shit, this sucks, <laughs> but it made me feel like I was probably, like, 12 years old again, right? you know, so that was the draw to, like, okay, this is super fun, and it makes you feel like a kid again, and anything that can, you know, that's when you started, when I wanted to go to those races... Because all those kids were getting together. Right. And, yeah, yeah. I was coming back here being the only guy in Colorado I had nobody to play with. I had nowhere to get equipment either. That's a fun story is trying to track down wheels.
2: Right. So yeah. what did that look like at that time? Because um, even like I'm, I'm under the impression that even the stuff that was made was in pretty short supply. Yeah, you'd have to buy a set of wheels from Biker at
0: every race you went to. Right. So you'd show up. somebody. Yeah. Somebody would open the trunk of their car. You're good. And um, Freeman was sponsored by Kryptonics. Okay. So I remember... Um, well, early on, you'd get a set of Kryptonics. You'd ride, ride them, go to your next race, buy another set. And you'd just get one set of cryptos for each race. What the hell were the other wheels back then? Not Power Paws. Um, oh fuck! See
2: what I had? Yeah, cherry bombs. There was uh, uh Super Mundos.
0: Yeah, those were around. There was a gray wheel too. I thought that had like, <clears throat> um, but they sucked. Those cherry <laughs> bombs were terrible. Um, absolutely no traction. Um, again, just a high speed wheel. Um, the cryptos I remember being in South Africa. And Freeman had a box of Kryptonics show up that got delayed somewhere. And he sat in the hotel room and just started selling wheels to everybody. It was like a, it's like an underground wheel, you know, black market out of his hotel room.
2: Um, what do we have? Green, blue, orange? Probably green, blue, and red, yeah. Oh, yeah. Orange, we call them a red, yeah. 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 So, so let me, like, look, so Rob's got this wicked printed out, like, racing resume from his you know, first several years. and Shit, man, you went to a lot of races. So, you went to Barrett in 2000. Mm-hmm. Sick. So, we were, you know, just talking about this this year. Like, so that would have been Danny's first year there, too.
0: Yep. His uh, dad rolled up to me and said, you know, he introduced himself. This is my kid. Um, if you wouldn't mind taking him under your wing. And I had a joint in my hand. I was cupping a joint. You know, trying to be a responsible adult, like, yeah, I'll take your kid, under, you know, I'll show him around, take a run with him, like pot smoke coming up from behind my back. Um, that would have been... That's
2: like pretty much how I'm going to remember you forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 2000 would have been amateur,
0: and that's when we were, we were trying to, all of us go to the pros. Ed Strind was in the finals. I don't remember anybody. And Barrett, other. 2000. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Cool. Yeah.
2: So, I <sighs> need to get him on the podcast. Was there another Barrett on there, like 2002? Mm, yeah, 2001 and 2002.
1: So shit.
2: I, rem- I, I can't recall now. I got a
0: trophy. I'll have to go look at the trophy in my bedroom. Okay, well, yeah, we'll to fact check okay. It might have been... Um, but Barrett was fun because every year you went to Barrett, it was a different track. It was eroding away. Uh, yeah, even- you should fucking see it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised it's even still
2: there. You know what, man? I it's still great.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: when I look at the pictures that like Cludy has of it from the early 2000s, like it looks like it might as well be new pavement. It was a two lane road. What is it? Is it a two lane road still? I mean, how, like uh, if you consider like a lane to be the width of a skateboard, then yes. <laughs> but the two lanes aren't next to each other. So, I was a Clouty
0: say fanboy, and when I went out to so what
2: so so what made you choose Clouty over the other archetypes of that era? Probably the Budweiser over the meth.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) so so
2: we could take a moment to touch on this a little bit because I think it's super interesting that from that time it was like. It seems like there were kind of two cadres of dudes doing this. They were like guys who were pretty much just into like weed and beer, or you were like into hardcore stimulants.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, at the time, too, you know, it was all illegal. Weed was illegal. Right. And uh, if you're going to California, that's kind of the motherland for for weed back then. And these guys were all surfers, skaters, and... um, you knew there was going to be plenty of weed around. And, um, again, there was this big luge scene. And the losers. a lot of them were from NorCal. A lot of the luge guys who were big on the scene, you know, there wasn't San Diego guys, the L.A. guys. But um, there's a lot of meth up there in the wine country as well. The wine weed growing country, the green triangle they call it or whatever. Yeah. Mendocino so, County. Um, and apparently, that's good meth. I mean, if you are a
2: connoisseur, I' will take your word.
0: For I, it, I don't know. I don't know, but um, that was going around um, uh, not not really prevalent, but I was more drawn to the guys who like to just chill out and were more mellow. and you know, it's true. I would really describe Rick Cludy
2: as mellow.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, we. but Rick was out there, too, with his wife. Okay, right. His he, kids. That's the thing. He had, like, four kids and uh-huh. shit. So Rick was showing up with, like, the tent, you know, the... He had, like, VW, a chair and a cooler. Yeah, VW bus, and he was hanging out, a big sun hat, you know, surfer dude. Um, Yeah, Rick was a lot more fun to to hang out with. Eventually, you know, getting picked up from the airport or going to his place. Um, becoming friends with Rick and that was a treat because you're now in the car going to bear it with the guy that knows every corner. Right. And like know? the guy uh, who like
2: introduced you to the sport, the first one you saw on Yeah. TV, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was always a kick in the pants. I never tried to let that get, uh, you know, into my head so much cause he's a normal guy. You know, you're like, all right, well this was the guy that kind of turned me on to this.
2: But you're like oh, he's a what roofer. kind of life what kind of life do we live where we think Rick Clutie is a normal guy? Uh, <laughs> well, no offense, Rick. We love you.
0: So I would um be spoiled too, in that like we'd go to turn four and we'd just work out on turn four, you know, and he would give you the sage advice of how to catch somebody on Barrett, right. you know and where to be here or here if you can still see them and they go around that corner and you're right here you can still catch them never give up at barrett barrett was that track you're like you know if you're if you're following somebody pieces of the road could be coming oh up and hell landing yeah man anything
2: in the world can happen at yeah. barrett yeah. never give up and that um that whole cat track thing
0: back oh. you know back in the day it was different because you could uh, on the left side of the road, you, there was a left side of the road. There was the cat track.
1: Yeah.
0: And then there was probably about... Even 10 years ago, there was a left side of the two road. Two feet. There was probably <laughs> two feet. I think the last time I was up there, that two feet was gone. It was all the way up to the cat track. So all of that sage-gloody advice is probably totally thrown out the window now. It's a different, it's a different track. Oh, yeah. That's, a, um, that's an amazing hill um, and spot in the world when you have, you know... A U-Haul and you load it up with all the riders and you drive them across the border into Mexico. It's just kind of silly that you can do that kind of stuff. You know, you're I don't know to,
2: that you can anymore. Well, they made but. us get out and walk across. <laughs> oh, okay. But it was just fun
0: to show up with a U-Haul full of people to go get tacos in Mexico because, you know, you're only two miles away from the border there. I, like,
2: I'll confess I've never done it. I've never been to Tecate.
0: Um Federal agents lining the hill. Oh, yeah, you that's a cool that. place. Yeah. But, yeah, just to, like, okay, we're going to take a break from racing because, you know, the U-Haul caught on fire. <laughs> let's, let's take the other one down to, to Um Yeah, that's a cool spot. Um, the cafe. Yep. yep. It's, that's just, it's, that's on the list of, like, all the spots in the world. That li- little weird spot in the desert, you know, that we race. People go back to but.
2: Southern California, you know. Right. We should turn it into a track, a downhill. I mean, it's as pretty much as close as you're ever going to get. Like, there's no reason for a car to ever drive up Barrett Junction. Like
0: repaved chairlift. All I'm saying,
2: I, you know, around. I've said this before, though. If you repave Barrett, I got no reason to go anymore.
1: Mm.
2: There, are, there are plenty of smooth hills in the world. You know, put a chairlift on it, we'll talk about it. But, right. but if you pave Barrett, I have no reason to go back.
0: Well, just the access of. Um, Skating it in January, if you live up here in the oh, mountains yeah. of Colorado, and you're like, okay, there's this outlaw in January, and you live up here, and you're like, there's 50 inches of snow,
2: yeah. you know, there's, it, it, there's that's the draw. That's Well, and like Calvin go. hit the nail on the head this year. I mean, it's too bad that uh, obviously the race season got completely canceled, but Calvin was really gearing up to do a world tour, and he was saying like, you know what, man, you start your season out at Barrett, you go there in January... And you were like fully desensitized to pavement artifacts for the next year. Mm-hmm. Like it's your vaccine against like chunder. Yeah.
1: <laughs> totally true. yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's totally true. All the years that I went to Barrett in January and then went on the world tour, every part of a track in the world where somebody's like, Oh yeah, the pavement's really bad there, I was like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: I've got a piece of Barrett in my bedroom. Uh, yeah. I've got i I've yeah. got a
2: piece of my garden, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Barrett, you ride down for your second run and there's new holes right because you know, just it's oh. alive <laughs> yeah there's uh and there's some cool shit living out there too i mean there's a cactus flower that opens up in the middle of the night when the moon's out and there's a particular hummingbird moth that um, waits for that thing and drops in there and you're like where the hell are we There's <laughs> like you know
2: Outlaws. There's and some really big beetles, beetles. that are, uh, <laughs> they're really spicy. Yeah. You eat them. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, Barrett's a, uh, Barrett's a gem.
0: Barrett's a blast, and uh, I'm just surprised anybody. When was the last time
2: you were there? This January. There were probably 50 people. <laughs> it was it was amazing, and I hadn't been there in probably three four years. I took one run, and like. I like oh, I took more than one run. My first run, I went full speed and just, like, went on autopilot. Found all the lines again. Click, click, click. And I got to the bottom, and I, I, somebody was asking me, like, oh, how was it? And I was like, fuck, why did I stay away? Mm-hmm. It was so good. Yeah, Camping I... out, you know. Nobody went to the cafe, which kind of bummed me out. Like, I, I went to the cafe with, like, Calvin and the Rogers brothers. And we, like, sat there and bullshit. And, and uh, Waldo's crutch luge is still there. Wow. Yeah. Waldo. But, he was my roommate in South Africa. Cool. Waldo. Um... So tell me, tell me a little bit, like a little sidebar. Tell me about Waldo because I never met him. I don't, I, all I know about Waldo is, one, the insanity clip of him at the, the San Francisco Big Air, which I recently uh-huh. learned from John Rogers. They didn't get any fucking practice runs. Mm-hmm. Every hit on that ramp was everyone's first and only run. Yeah. So for him to hit it like that, so perfect, like head on the headrest, 91 feet, like unreal. And then my other memory of Waldo is uh, at Frank Waterhouse's house in Allen's Park, where he lives now. Yeah. Him being all fired up to like show me in this old, old, old book about skateboarding, like a 70s book that has like a two-page picture of Waldo like doing a frontside grind on a pool with long hair. And it's like Waldo Autry is known for his tall socks. Like, I
0: Yeah. That's I, all I know. <laughs> I didn't know much about him until I got into downhill and learned that he was this <clears throat> iconic um, 70s, you know, not iconic, I guess.
2: He was, but he, like, he was a pro skater in the 70s. Yeah. Which yeah. was not easy to do. There were a shitload of skaters in the 70s. But he was
0: always the guy, too, that I was told that was like going bigger than anybody else. And the photographs, that if there weren't a lot of pictures of this guy. But the pictures that you'd see, he'd be higher than anybody else, over the light, you know, yeah. on, you know, just blasting bigger than. I, I think too. I remember seeing shots of him. It was like the Pepsi demo days where okay, they. Yeah, I mean, like he was some, like
2: dogtown era, like five-inch wide board shit. And they'd have like those clear plexiglass like,
0: exhibition style ramps. They'd throw in at a halftime show, and he um, was, from what I understand, would go bigger than anybody else, and. That had not only to do with skateboarding, but drinking. Oh. (laughs) And uh, he was my roommate in Cape Town. And I was like, who's this Waldo Autry guy? And people were like, dude, you got Waldo as your roommate? That's the best. You're never going to see him. He's probably got three South African wives. And uh, he'll be out drinking the whole time. Sure enough, I never saw him other than the time I went out skateboarding at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And he had his arm around a woman and a bottle of vodka in his other hand,
2: um, and then wow! Oh, so he wrote, He was on the Pepsi team, and he rode for Tunnel. I mean, that's heavy.
0: Yeah, I, I want to say I remember seeing pictures of him when I started to do my investigation of Waldo Autry. I'd see his name listed in the like Del Mar, yeah, or uh, yeah, that was the era, um, Badlands. You know, the the pipeline contest from like the 70s and he'd be lined up with like all
2: the big names you know alba and shit yeah he was on the cover of skateboard in 1977 Yeah. yeah wow um so okay so south africa yeah but he was uh
0: not he was not into like winning like his thing was like when everybody else was like i make my own bearings i make my own lube you know, and everybody's like,
2: he was—he'd put—he was, he'd put, he was I like, remember, I make my own South African children.
0: I remember in Cape Town, he had—he uh, had a big American flag on the back of his luge, and everybody was like, "What, you know, what the fuck are you thinking?" And he was just like putting a drag chute on there. It's like he wanted his American flag on the back of his luge. He didn't—he wasn't there to win. Right. He knew—I don't even think he knew he was going to, or thought he could win. He just. He was there to have fun. He was always smiling. He was there. Yeah. Um, beer, beer, beer.
1: Yeah, I'm good for now, but I'll take
0: I think That's you. This one's me. Yeah, yeah. perfect. I can't get pizza and drink beer at the same time. I drink
2: separately. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you want a roll aid for your heartburn? No,
1: I'm good. All right. Just seven, bros. You only got five each.
2: So, so we got to backtrack in the timeline just slightly. All right, you know, right, you know, first tell me about Waldo. So, I didn't really know him or know him that much of him. But that's I, like, but that's kind of, yeah. that gives me a piece. Yeah. More than I've had before. I remember just, like I said, I didn't, I'm like, who the hell is
0: this Waldo guy? And people were like, dude, you you don't know who Waldo Autry is? I wasn't a big skateboarder. I was not, like, it was transportation. Right, and like by the so, time you had a power mm-hmm. board
2: too, like. The, all those 70s era pros were mm. history, I mean, and history, history.
0: And, and Waldo was, you know, the guy that was always around with a big smile and always smiling. Um, I just remember his, like, peers would always build him up. And the guys that I looked up to, like, the Rogers brothers and, you know, some of the Dregs guys were like, Waldo's the fucking man. Right. Um... I didn't really know that much of him other than you know what everybody else had told me, um, but I'd see his name like I said up there with like, Chappie back in the seventies or Bo Brown or any of those big names. I'm not I'm not much of a historian
2: when it comes to him. So I'm looking at your um your resume again. Mm-hmm. So I have got two thousand one Danger Bay. Is that Danger Bay one? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> How'd you find out about Danger Bay 1? Shit. How'd I find out about Danger Bay? I... Because at some point, like, NCDSA has to enter the picture. NCDSA makes a lot of appearances around this time.
0: Yeah. And it might have been, it might have been on an NCDSA thing. Um, uh, Danger Bay, I can't remember if I met some of the Canadians either at a, a Barrett race, if that wasn't... How it happened, but I got the travel bug after a few races. I was like shit i can I can go hang out in somebody's porch, sleep on the ground or bond with you know all these other guys in a car and get to this event, and it's a closed race course. I can speedboard you know, I can do this right, work on your technique. Danger Bay was just that I mean i I think it might have been the first time I'd ever, it was the first time I'd gone to Canada. Might have been the first time I'd ever left the country. I might have been to Mexico, yeah, a couple times. Um, flew into Vancouver, didn't really know
2: anybody. I might have known Dan Pape with Onshore Boards. Dude, I know. Dan Pape is one who I'd love to get on the podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess cool. I could
2: do him with Skype. Like, I'm probably never going to see him is again. Is he in Asia? He, yeah, he's in Japan. So, um, Danger Bay, you go into Vancouver, you get on a ferry. Horseshoe Bay. Yeah, and then you're... You take the ferry to Sechelt.
0: Sechelt. And I slept on the porch of the local newspaper in Sechelt, um, <laughs> in my leathers, because I was freezing my ass off. So, I unpacked my gear. I, shit, I wonder what board I was on. I must have been on that dregs board. And, uh... There were maybe, there must have been 10 of us, 15 of us. Right, small. Racers.
2: Yeah. Um, and, like, other than, ki- like, the Canadians, like, who, were there any other, like, name brand riders from no, the states I there? I can't
0: think of anybody else from the states that was there. If Danger Bay were not no. There was, maybe Jimmy Flint. Okay. Um, but, no, because the finals were me and Jody. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, you know, of course, Bryson was there, but I can't think of what about uh, Limo because he was so close. No, okay. Danzy wasn't there. Uh, uh-uh. uh, because he would have given us a run for our money. Right. I mean, Jody and I were hacks, and uh, he figured me out. That I could have, I should have, would have, could have. I could have won the first Danger Bay. That son of a. Mm. <laughs> Fuck, man, and and this is that
2: thing too. Like for my era, guys, like. Nowadays, like, the goddamn millennials don't know about Danger Bay, like, because when I came up, like, that list, like, because my first Danger Bay was Danger Bay 9, and, no, Danger Bay 8. I think I went to the first six. Either way, but, like, that list, the list of people who'd won Danger Bay was, like, it could not have been etched deeper into fucking stone. And that whole thing about how, like, no one's ever won two except the schnitzel. Like, it was a thing. It meant something. It really meant something. Dude. And if you'd won the first Danger Bay, fuck, you would be immortal.
1: <laughs> Shut up.
2: I'm, 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 I'm sorry, <laughs> but, like, he fucking, he fucking, oh, like sucked, I hate dude. to put that on you, but I'm like, uh, but, like, if Jody, like, never, ever shows his face again, yeah. like, to those who know go on. could go and look yeah, at that fucking trophy at the Oak Tree Market and be like, son uh, of a bitch.
1: Exactly.
2: And I think like those first ten Danger Bays were like a moment. He was, uh, he looked, anybody who was fucking anybody made it. Second place is the first loser. And, uh, and I've maintained this for my whole career. man. Nobody remembers who got second place at anything, oh, no, which no. sucks cause I got a lot of second yeah. places. Um, <laughs> man, I
0: remember once, when Micah got second place at Catalina, though.
2: <laughs> okay, it's one thing. Anytime somebody got second place at a race where Kevin Reimer got first, we I do remember that. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I no look. offense,
2: Kevin. We're gonna talk about this one day, but <laughs> <laughs> that sweeping right, it goes down, down
0: straight it, down off the push. It kind of goes
2: up a little bit. No, you that, go through the first bending right, mm-hmm. then the then the second bending right, mm-hmm. then it goes uphill. Yeah. So at the uphill, right at the... The uphill is where a lot of moves are made. At the uphill, at the top, <laughs> I was throwing a foot break on
0: the the uphill right there. And then I would dive into the left. left. Yeah. And I'd catch him on the exit of the left. He looked over his shoulder to see me foot break and... Um, that's when he figured out what I was doing. He was like, after I think like two heats, he's like, "How do you keep catching me out of that turn at the bottom?" And I was slowing down way, way high, and then bombing into the corner. And then once uh, he saw me foot brake, he did, he did pretty much the same thing, or stood up and air braked, and I never caught him. And then in the shutdown, insult to injury, he throws a pendy, and I just watch him like disappear. And then the next thing I know, I'm on my foot face, because he's, he's taking me out at the ankles. Um, yeah, yeah, and he'll always remind me of
2: that, Jody. But, I mean, I, I want to get it on the record here, though, that you did get second place at the
1: first stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, you know what? I've been, to, I've been to so many of Bryson's events, and I've never gotten one of those uh, Well, Coast Medals didn't Coast come around metal. until like 2010. But I'm on the Coast Medal. That's me. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Hold
2: on. Hold on. Hold on. Where is it? What I've been told, this is, so the Coast logo that everybody knows, I have been told that it is an amalgamation of three riders, but the head is your Azonic. Yes. But the rest of it is not all you. Right.
0: Okay. The head is my Azonic. I been told it was one other rider. I don't know. It could
2: be. I think legend, and this is like, please, anybody who has the truth yeah. about this, like, bang my line, like, <laughs> hit the podcast DMs, tell me, but I'm under the impression that one of the other riders who is in the amalgamation is Raggy, mm. but I don't know the
1: third.
0: Yeah, I, I heard it was one other rider, and Bryson told me if I ever said the name to him, he would confirm that. So, anytime I'd been around Bryson, you know, at a, at a campsite or an event, I'm like, So, you're never gonna tell me, and I have to guess who it is, but you promise if I say the name, you, you will, will tell, tell me. me who it is. Um, God, I want and I've thrown one. a lot of names at him, and, you know, nobody knows who I am because I didn't win the first Danger Bay, <laughs> and nobody knows that's my Azonic on the sticker, and it's probably all over the world. Oh, that's it is head. it is literally all over the world. It's,
2: yeah, it's in the it's in the garage downstairs. You like you own, I mean, that's like the greatest legacy I should that give you didn't that even exotic. wish you had, you know? <laughs> It's Great. <laughs> so yeah. You well, know what? You have you still have that exotic?
0: Yeah, it's in the garage. You should
2: absolutely give it to him for his museum and his church.
0: I've I've got some other Yeah. I've got some other stuff. But he's out in like he lives in on an island, so, I mean somewhere. Not an on island, it's
2: a coast, but Nova Scotia. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you got to send it by albatross. I've got <laughs> I've got some land yachts boards that. I mean I, I know there's no no other out there. I know out you there you or, have a
2: land yachts drop race. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't even know what it's called, but I probably there have are three one. of them.
2: Oh yeah. Or there were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have um, a couple of weird boards from back and then that need to go to a museum, or. Bryson or Joe. Yeah, Joe's in. museum
2: is pretty cool too. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, anybody who collects them, because I, I, they're better in in somebody else's garage than mine. And usually when I tell people I'm going to send them aboard, they're like, "Don't fucking do it." <laughs> I
2: don't need another them. They're like, board. "Guy, I have the but. same stack you have, like <laughs> in the shed, like." So next up on your like on your timeline here, I mean there are other races in here, but. Tell me about Pike's Peak 2001, Mm -hmm. because this is, like, a chapter that, like, that is genesis of Colorado downhill skateboard racing, really. Yeah, that was,
0: um, up there with, okay, well. So it's EDI. EDI. Clutie drives out here with Dallas
2: Oberholzer. Okay. Um... Because people don't know this, there's, there's like a whole I European contingent of EDI racers mm-hmm. too. Yeah, there was EDI
0: Europe um, because they had qualifiers over there right. for gravity games. Right. And Clouty drives out here from California with I I think Jimmy Flint. I can't remember who who was riding with him, but he's got
2: Jimmy Flint had to be a young guy at the time too.
0: Four or five guys in his truck. Um, we're all bombing. They'll Pass, get them used to the altitude. Um, making weed pancakes, get them used to the altitude. Go to Pikes Peak, and uh, it's the EDI Dregs TVS cast of characters, I guess. Um, Golter, Hardwick, Biker, of course, Dread, Lair. Um, and the amateur division that I was in, we're all still trying to come up to get into the pro class. And we were racing mile marker, I think,
2: eight and nine. So way, way lower down on the hill yeah. than the race that we ended up having. Because at that time, the, the race course that we raced on was still dirt. Yep. Yep. And if it was paved with those guys, none of us would have been at all
0: qualified to go up there and race it anyway. Like, right. But, what we were racing was, um, <clears throat> when I drove out there, I couldn't figure out if we were going this way or if we were going this way down this hill, because it wasn't much of a hill. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a common thread
2: from this
1: time. <laughs> the,
0: yeah, yeah. It was, it was, again, going back to those EDI days of American-style racing, you know, like right. a little bit more drawn-out turns, long stretches of speed for uh, drafting and... Um, passing, no... Right, hay bales. No hairpins.
1: Did we have hay bales?
0: Um, We did. And I think that's where... Was it Dave Rogers? Or was it John? Went through the trees there on the street. Oh,
2: we've got it and for sure. Danny's got photos of it.
0: Uh Um, Amateur division was like me, Doug Dupin, and um, I wonder if DeKaiser was an am then.
2: Danny would have been an AM.
0: And Danny was. Because
2: Danny would have won AM at Donner mm-hmm. before that.
0: But that, that, that course was um, not challenging at all other than the shutdown. Um, <clears throat> because back then, too, you know, everybody was foot and there wasn't really a lot of pendy slides. Um, but yeah, that was probably one of the first big races here in Colorado for years. Right, I mean, there wasn't another one until your race. Uh, Vail Pass, and that was that was still pretty underground, 2004, 2005, I think, right around there. Right, we'll get there on the
2: timeline. we got, uh-huh. we got a list here. So,
1: Brunson would have been there,
2: too. Brunson in 2001? Uh, no.
1: According to Danny on this uh,
2: comment. Right? Uh, Pike's Peak? I don't know. I think that picture, you're talking about the picture we put on Instagram today? Mm-hmm. I think that's Sandia. And that's a little later. I thought
1: this was all referring My
2: bad. Yeah,
0: yeah, Pikes would have Pikes was a really small amateur field. Like not a lot of guys I can remember that
2: Well like we're talking about you're saying twenty stand up guys period. Right. So how many possible amateurs are there? I've, like I have got pictures from back then too, somewhere. And I love the like the hypocrisy and the politics of like how Rick Cludie never raced an amateur. Because he just showed up to his first race and his leathers were brand new. And Biker was just like, oh, we only have two guys in the amateur class. So guess what? You're pro. Your gear looks good enough. You're in. Mm-hmm. But like somebody like you went to all these goddamn races and just got skunked for seasons on end.
0: Yeah. And it was it was part of the, I don't know, cool guy club you had to be part of. Like, right.
2: And you wasn't, weren't from
0: California.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No. I wasn't a surfer. I wasn't. You know, part of his clique. They were all friends, too. You know, right. Lair. Um, all, like, San Diego area, pretty much. Yeah, those guys, Dredd and and um, Van Bommel, they were all surfers. I think, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of them might have been biker's friends from Jersey. Like, yeah. they might have been people that he grew up with on the East Coast that transplanted out there. So, they were tight. Um, so, yeah, it was tough to get into, like, their good graces. Especially for me, I was kind of cynical, sarcastic, and didn't give a shit. Were um, and <laughs> they were they were more into like you know kind of puffing their own chests out, and it was a little bit more ego driven um, and controlling too. Like you right. couldn't get you couldn't see the hill right. until the day of whatever. Right, and they know, could change like, the
2: rules at a moment's notice, <laughs> yeah. and they controlled the world supply of fucking wheels, like. Yep. And you had to write a
0: letter. I mean, you honestly, like, you had to write. And you had to receive an invite to Skid Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's why I might have gone to Danger Bay the first time, was that Skid Road was, maybe it was right around the same time.
2: It would have been, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was like, Skid Road was, you're going to die. I didn't have health insurance at the time supposedly, like, a 50-mile-per-hour left-hand 90 manhole covers, potholes.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's video people eating wild shit at Skid mm-hmm. Road.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some crazy... I, I remember seeing those videos and hearing about it, and I kind of... I think I got psyched out of it, and Danger Bay was right around the same time. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, the, the whole biker politics, who you know... Um, came into play like i said with the math mathematically like if there were 10 of us trying to claw our way into the pros and there were only six races and you had to podium it you know i think he had to get like a you had, first well, place. you had to podium you at had to three back
2: to back first place finishes or something right and three of those races were in fucking europe yeah. like yeah it was total yeah control i mean like you said so on the list here we got 2002 mary hill what was it like going to Mary Hill back then?
0: We started at the tree, but yeah. we finished at the gate right and i didn't I didn't know the track first of all, like I pulled up that had to be like the windiest road you'd ever ridden. I pulled up to the highway overlook, yes, And I looked across right we've all had and, this moment and I remember like. Trying to figure out what I was looking at, you know, how far away it was, like perspective-wise. Because it hadn't been freshly paved. It was an old road. It was an old cow pasture. There were no... It wasn't like it was maintained at all.
2: Right, it wasn't until a few years later they put that like yeah. s- that, like that black steel coat on it to make the road extra black again and they repainted the lines.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was... That road was... A little bit gnarlier back then and, and sunbaked and had cow shit all over it. Um, <laughs> and we raced from the tree down to the gate. Um The first gate. Not, not you know, the, the gate turn. Yeah. Um, and I remember we were on there with luge in practice. So Ooh. that was really hairy. Because, again, that was back in the day when luge was real big. I drove up there. And camped out. We didn't really know anybody still. I mean, I didn't know enough people. I think Cludy and a couple handful of people were going to meet me at the campsite. Um, and I think it was Curtis Head. Mm-hmm, that sounds plausible. I don't know who, who he was with, but they had gone over and looked at the hill. And it got around the campsite that they had looked at the hill and, Biker was
2: going to tell him they had to go home, and it was you know like Curtis Head uh, is of the mind that he found Mary Hill. uh I I've I've been doing some investigative journalism about who may or may not have been the first one to find Mary Hill, but he believes that he found it in the in like '99, Mm -hmm. so he definitely would have seen the hill before the race.
0: Yeah, I I remember Biker was like no practicing on the road. He didn't want anybody near the hill, and I went to that overlook. When I first got there, and there was all of the Dregs guys practicing (laughs) and doing runs on the road. And uh, (laughs) seeing him at the campsite, and I remember inquiring, you know, like, well, what time can we get on the hill? Or can I check it out tomorrow? And that's when it started this whole, like, who's been on the hill? You know, just, it it got to be the controlling thing again of, like, he wanted to give his guys the advantage Or, he just—they had the advantage, or they could, he could have—they could have access to the hill before anybody else could, you know, right. have their own little private private sessions. Mary Hill um, was super fucking fun back then too, though, because you didn't have that whole road to try and catch somebody. You know, there's a—we finished at the gate, so you could pretty much see the. Start to finish from the top, you like, know.
2: Oh my god, I would dream for that. You know, like we, I'll, I'll go on the record right now. Fuck everybody, you know. If Maryhill ended at the gate, I'd never lose.
1: <laughs>
2: I'd win every race. Oh, wow. I like straight up. If the finish line was at the gate, I would have. I'd be undefeated at Maryhill. But was, uh, you know, here we are.
0: There's that great footage of Ed Strind, <laughs> who uh, loses it in the
2: right, right. And what was it? Is it, the never ending, right? He no, never ending it? left. He scrubs out, loses all his speed, mm-hmm. and catches everybody. Up and then, and yeah, catches everybody by the finish. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that, that hill is amazing. I, I think uh, back to one time you and I were there, and you were looking at me like you were already loaded up. You're like, what do you mean? You don't have your leathers on? You're not going up? what are you doing? Why are you here? And you're like, it's going to rain. We got to get our runs in now. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Was like the, I'm old school enough to know, I mean, I should have my shit on. I should be in the truck. I'm just like a switch. When I got up to the top, I was like, all right, let's go. There's no time to lollygag. We need to get down and back onto the truck. And it was just after the little power meeting I had with you of, like, <laughs> we old guys, we got to, like, tell the other ones, you know, come on, get down the fucking hill so we can get back on the truck. Um, I don't know how many times I've been to Maryhill. Now. A bunch. I, I can draw it. I can draw it for you real quick. You know, top to bottom. I know you could, too.
2: Oh, hell yeah, man. Oh, a- a- Never get sick there. of it. That's another one of those spots. Like, Maryhill and Barrett, like, there are some timeless kind of pieces of hallowed ground that are never going anywhere, you know, because they are what they are. And they're tied to, like, really shitty small towns and really, like, ugly parts of America. But, like, when I think about... I've probably spent three months of my life in Goldendale, Washington. Like, probably, like, I've spent the, the second most time anywhere I've ever been besides my hometown... Is Goldendale, Washington. Uh, <laughs> like, yep. and God and I would damn. I would I would
0: look forward every year to going to Chillicothe, Ohio. Oh. I, I, I think Munsville, New York, is one of the most beautiful places oh. in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. Bainbridge. <laughs> you all know, these there's days. there's yeah all these places we get to go to that the locals yeah, like can't to. wait to like take me with you, please get me out of here. <laughs> Well, the it?
2: (laughs) Right. How many times have I sat in the Barrett Junction Cafe and looked at that stupid fish, like the, (laughs) the, like, giant, like, you know, comically oversized, like, fish story taxidermy bass from Barrett Lake that might not even exist. Like, why is that burned into my memory and never to leave?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, the St. George. Oh,
2: God. St. George,
0: Utah. I mean, there's... There's all these little little towns where we show up and take over, and the townspeople can't wait to have us back, and you can't wait to go back to Albuquerque. What's fuck
2: Albuquerque? It's so goddamn hot. Oh yeah, Who there's like pretty much bed? nothing redeeming about Albuquerque.
0: But you go, I've probably gone there like four years in a row. Yep. I know where to park. I know where the strip clubs are. I know yep. where the hotels are. That place
2: you can get the blue corn waffle. Mm-hmm. You know, the go eat that t- real life blue waffle
0: so, and, and, and that's it's the, delicious that's been the fun part of this all too is like that the skateboarder gets the free pass so when you go into like a town and you got a skateboard under your feet you know you go into a city you know nobody really gives a shit about you you're right. just the
2: skateboarder and you get to like right you somehow like, fade into the background mm-hmm. even though you shouldn't but mm-hmm. you totally get access to like a a realness a reality that isn't available to a regular tourist for sure. So tell me about uh, Cape Town. You'll be the first one on the podcast to talk to me about hot heels. Um. Well,
0: probably one of the furthest I had places I had traveled to at the time. Made sure I had a layover in Amsterdam. <laughs> Made sure I had a board yeah, that would. Um, I had you know my race gear, but I also had a get around board. Mm-hmm. So got around Amsterdam for for a while and then um, loaded up for I think it was shit like a 12 13 hour flight down to Cape Town um, exchange rate might have been 11 to 1 11 land to the dollar if that's right
2: so and so that means like you were balling out of control right <laughs> so and like you and we're talking like snow bum life for many years mm-hmm. up until this point and right. then you go to Cape Town and you were just Outrageous.
0: Yeah, and that was the cool thing, too, is like you're leaving here
2: in, gee, I don't know what month it was down in Cape Town, you know. When,
0: But, yeah, leaving the snow here. It would have been end of
2: the season usually, November, December. Well, I guess if I don't know anything about that. I'm thinking about oh. later Hot Heels. I have yeah. no idea. Well, yeah, I remember getting out of the
0: airplane in the heat, and I had, like, my down jacket from leaving Colorado, and <clears throat> the bus... ...ride from the airport to downtown Cape Town or where they had us. Um, there were all the shanties, you know, it was like exactly what you thought it would look like. Like a pump with, you know, kids collecting water out of it to probably take back to a shanty. If they could get a cinder block, you know, they might have another little bit of wall that day. Uh, it was pretty crazy looking. Um, we were told, you know, not to go anywhere outside of the, the little hotel compound we were in. Um, of course, we ventured out and stuff, but it was a bad idea. Um, that that trip was really eye-opening. I mean, like, all the skateboarding trips that I did, that was kind of where I, I started to go. was like, I'm not winning races. I'm not good enough to beat any of these guys, but I'm good enough to, like, qualify and travel and that's where it became like shit i'll get a chance to go to cape town south africa um i know i can't you know m- maybe i can't beat uh daryl freeman down the hill but,
2: but like you made the grade like you got to hang out
0: yeah i got i got qu- qualified um and that was insane we, we had it's so much money between all the riders, especially the Americans. Everybody was like, I'm renting motorcycles. I'm going on a helicopter ride. We went and fed great white sharks. Ah, man, you that's know. like one <laughs> yeah.
2: my greatest regret from never going to the South Africa race is like, I would love to go like deep poverty, like shark cage, like let's do this. There, there was no <laughs> shortage of like really cool
0: activities and everybody had the money. As soon as I landed there, you know, People, you need some weed. Like, yeah, definitely need some weed. (laughs) I got an ounce of what we call the Cape Town Brown. (laughs) Everybody, everybody had the Cape Town Brown, and it wasn't like around around our hotel. It wasn't like roaches. They were just full on like half joints. Right, cause like, just, like people whatever. just like They're light them free. and just throw them on the ground because they were so crap. It was just crap.
2: <laughs> was that when I was in the Philippines like ten years but ago? But it was twenty bucks for an right. ounce of weed. Weed in the Philippines was two hundred twenty dollars a kilo, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: and it was like straight up like it was like cattails, like just brown sticks. <laughs> and it was one person's job in the crew that like all they did all day was pre roll joints so that everybody else could chain-smoke them to try to achieve the smallest buzz. Yep. We had, um,
0: there was, I remember somebody in the bar picked up a bag of weed, and there was an ounce of weed, you know, it looked like a softball. And they're like, anybody drop this? <laughs> right. Like, oh, no, I got mine. Everybody had an ounce in their pocket, you know, because you were, again, the exchange rate. So if, for me, I didn't even think twice about it, but, yeah, give me a Jack and Coke. And I didn't, you know, people were like, dude, Americans throwing money around. And like, don't drinking worry, the like, imported it w- stuff. don't worry,
2: it wasn't Jack Daniels. <laughs> well, I, same thing in the Philippines, you like go into the gas station and you buy a bottle of Jack for three bucks and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't know it's Jack- cheaper over here. <laughs>
0: Forgot it was imported. They must not
2: have the taxes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was a wild trip because you're um, on the beach with all the beautiful people. It's a cookout. And you know, the sun set on the beach is amazing. And then there's just people, like homeless people everywhere, sleeping on the ground, everywhere. Right. The poverty was just it it was sad to say the least. I mean, it was like, like holy shit, I'm here riding a skateboard. You know, what kind of privileged life do I have? You know, that yeah, these kids down there, you know, didn't have shoes, you know, and they see like the Ferrari dealership, but like right. homeless people. It was it's like a crazy. homeless shelter, you know, at the on the stairs of the Ferrari dealership. It was just weird stuff that you would see. Um, I I would go back in a second, though. It was it's just an amazing place. Um, that energy down there, you know, the it's kind of like that energy you get when you're in South America, where you're, you know you're in Brazil, your shoulders can't stop moving from the samba. Or if you're in, you know, Austria, you got to have one of those beers or chocolate, right. you know, South Africa. Is just, it's just, it's a cool lifestyle. People are, uh, <clears throat> I think people die down there every day from really
2: gnarly shit. So they know their life can be taken away. Right, that's like so the Brazilian thing uh, where they're like a thousand moto boys die every week or whatever it is. Uh, you know, they have that like real impermanence of life thing so they they go hard as fuck right like well they are alive and i feel like there it's it's too bad that the economic inequality is such that i think mostly from brazil and from south africa there have been some downhill riders who are like you know they were shooting stars that never hit that they really could have been something and it just wasn't to be yeah, but There they, were guys down there who, were like, Parallel Evolution might have been the fastest guy in the world, and we never knew their name.
0: Because they had real shit to deal with. They couldn't
2: spend all their time on a skateboard. They might have had... Right, like, or even like, if they were an affluent South African, that 11 to 1 exchange rate just wasn't going to take them very far. Right. That was the other crazy
0: thing, too, is, like, you'd show up with your, like, three or four sets of wheels. Right. You know, and and these guys are, like on one cone set of wheels that they've had for the last, you know, year probably. Right, they have like Road Rider force from the 70s, like... <laughs> and and they were still fast as shit on them. You're... And, and that's where I also learned, you know, like, if I'm not out there to like w- win, I'm not here to like, I'm only here to qualify and travel, eat the food and be immersed in the culture. It was a lot of uh, leaving all of that stuff behind. You know, you just leave all your wheels behind. Right. Anything... Your excuse was like, "Oh, I, I don't want to carry all this back with me." Right. It was really like you're turning on so many of those kids. But on there's the like stuff. there's
2: some kid in South Africa who will never forget who you are. Right. Right. Because Shared you gave off your him back. a set of smoked wheels. Like,
0: yeah, that was that was. Um, you know, there's so many things about this sport that we don't talk about. You know, you talk about like all the. Races, who wins, who's faster, the history of it, but on like going back to those dolphins and stealing continental breakfast from hotels and, you know, blending into that tapestry in the background while, you know, whatever's in front of you is turning into a crime scene or totaling a <laughs> rental car. Oh, You know, get to that. You get, you get to, you know, I, 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 get, I ate at fucking McDonald's three times in one day. I don't eat at McDonald's in a year. I, I would <laughs> never. But you know, when in Austria and nothing's open, you know, there's just weird stories that you get to do on these skateboard travels where you're like, you know, the sun's still up in Stockholm at midnight, and you're like, what? Don't we have to race tomorrow? Right. Yeah, but it's just the the path behind the the shopping center, you know, the, the ra the, the racing all around the world is just so uh so different and eye opening, you know, and unless you're like a Kevin Reimer or a Zach Matem and all oh, you're doing is going to win. That's true. My know? eyes have never been opened up. You, you, can't, be wholly, going, you can't, can't be going you can't be going to these races thinking you gotta win all the time. You gotta On go culture. out and see the culture. <laughs> 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 you don't know Goldendale. I don't know anything about Goldendale. <laughs>
2: I certainly wasn't a professional nightmare drunk for about four years. <laughs> no, with your... I with, saw a lot of the world that I don't remember.
0: I'm, I'm glad I never saw the uh, gas-powered...
2: Oh, the fuel injector? Mm. How did you miss out on the fuel injector? Uh,
0: I'd walk away. I think it was at uh, Coops one night. Yeah, it was. And uh, maybe it was out at a, uh, one of your races.
2: Never forget. Yep. <laughs> So I, we're kind of going through – I'm f- pleased with this chronological order shit because usually it gets us on track to kind of get to the nitty-gritty stuff about, like, the, your experience in South Africa. But I've been trying to put this one together because it's another one that I just don't have the info on, but I know it was important. Tell me about Top Challenge. Um,
0: <clears throat> Top Challenge was one of the biggest races on the East Coast. That was its
2: big claim to fame, I remember. 2005, maybe? I mean you got Montreal 2003 here. 2000. So that must have been something else. Um we
0: did I there was an east the east coast scene was coming up with like the DC downhill guys,
2: right? And then um the so New You got York. Monsville 2002. Mm-hmm. Washington DC 2001 and 2002. GSI, Gravity Sports mm-hmm. International
0: maybe was the the organization. There was a race in Maine okay. somewhere and then um so top challenge um would have been mount royal long sweeping road no hay bales they put those metal um pedestrian
2: like crowd barricades yep Ugh. those
0: were uh those were your barrier <laughs> uh, and try to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't i um you remember it rained one year pretty significantly and that was actually a lot of fun because. So it was you guys,
2: a, did you guys ride in the wet?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, um, sweeping right-hand turn that. Everybody, that's where we started to learn how to drift too. I mean, I remember that race. You were not going to get around that corner without going sideways, and um, a lot of the racers turned into spectators, just watching in practice, trying to. See who was going to make the turn and how they were doing it. I don't remember Rain Wheels. I could be wrong, but um, I know one of those years it was like Scoot and Raggy and. Oh, that would have been way later. Jimmy.
2: The two thousand
0: three. I like was... Jim Z
2: might have had Rain Wheels at that point.
0: Yeah, um, but I was racing. Shit, I would have been on a land. I was on my land yachts board. I'm pretty sure back then. So um, what land yachts board? probably the drop it was a drop through board that drop race yeah yeah um
2: so yeah top challenge was two i thought it was two years in a row what trucks would you have been on at that point you still on your randall downhills
0: yeah okay yeah and i had floating
2: axles okay uh loose trucks or speedboard trucks
0: the speedboard the the narrower ones yeah 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 yeah, they were
2: like 180s i think yeah that sounds right and
0: yeah, like the bearings on the,
2: but just thing. one bearing on on the floating axle, not two. That was the difference between loose trucks and speedboard trucks. Is they took the loose trucks and milled them down. So yeah, they had the one bearing. I'm
0: pretty sure I had the one bearing ones. Yeah, yeah the the speedboard trucks. Um, but yeah, that's where Fred Desjardins lived and Street so Missile that, and that's Quebec. Uh, Fast Freddy. Yep, Fast Freddy. So. Yeah, we'd get a little I I got a tour of um Quebec, Montreal. I think the first year that I was there, I stayed down there. I stayed there by myself. I didn't really know too too many people. Um But yeah, that top challenge course um was rad. It was so so fun. Roger's brothers were there. Misha would have been there. Nico um, Demare. Nico,
2: I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because, like, Top Challenge for me feels like, like, around that time, like, 03, 04, Top Challenge, Mary Hill, and I guess, like, Bainbridge and Munsville was, like, this is the primordial soup of the modern era. Like, when, like you said, sliding, like, having to slide or slow down for that corner was, like, the, this was the departure from what you call American-style racing that was, like, big sweepers, draft battles only, you know, the kind of stuff that Todd Lair could ride with his feet next to each other. Yep. To where it started to become a little bit more tactical downhill. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the East Coast tracks were kind of. Um, As some younger riders. Like Misho would have had to be like 20. You yeah. know. Uh, Nico Desmarais. Same thing. Like not 35 year old career action sports athletes. Like these are starting to be a little bit more organic. Shorter tracks. Um, and more urban tracks. As well, and the gravity games was gone, so it was like the the race you were at was the main deal. It wasn't about qualifying for the championship at the end of the season,
0: right? And and
2: I don't know, yeah, you're right. There was no like big
0: finals to qualify for. We're all going to meet up at the Super Bowl of downhill skateboarding, right? It was on the East Coast. If you were a kid from New York, you had a handful of events now to go to. They were all different organizers too, because it was like Dr. No. Right, no
2: points championship. hmm IGSA was a thing at this point.
0: Yeah, IGSA was around. IGSA was doing shoot. Um I don't know if they'd started their Europe tours and what were some of the first IGSA races? You probably, oh, race
2: probably would have been. Oh jeez. Um definitely. There were some in Europe because I God, I don't know when the first IGSA World Cup championship think was.
0: I first met Marcus, um, Marcus Riedema. Yeah, I thought it was Maryhill, um, but those East Coast races, like Munnsville, um, the Ohio, I'd call East Coast. Mm-hmm. DC downhill, the DC downhill guys would. Let you know about, okay. Well, there's a race up in Montreal going on. Right. Um, there's one in Maine, you know, and that's where you started to
2: see Jim Z. Um, so, do you remember who won the race in Montreal in 2003? Fuck no. Um, I don't. I, I, I can't remember who won Montreal races. Do you remember who won Danger Bay? Or no? do you remember how you did at Danger Bay 2?
0: It? no danger bay 2
2: yeah it says you went
0: oh I, i'm sure i went i went to like the first three or four danger bays um but no no
2: i didn't um oh, fuck. who won danger bay 2 why can't i remember this the igsa first world championship was in 2002 okay who was the who was the first igsa world cup champion yvonne it was it was yvonne LeBarth. yeah at hot heels Yeah. Oh, okay, but it, that was so that was just he won the world championship race. Yeah, I don't know if there was.
0: So what was your question? Um...
2: Oh, if you remember who won any of the races in Montreal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure Google can tell us, but I, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, the first one was actually 2001, I'm wrong. Okay. It was uh, okay. That was Werner Berchery. For stand-up? vanna.
0: Vanner, yeah, um, had his nose pierced. I forget who that was. Um, Yeah, coming back from, this is funny, coming back from Cape Town, though, Chapit was sitting behind me, and he was coming up with all of his ABEC-11 ideas and putting them on a you know, handing me the piece of paper. What
2: do you think of this? He did not say, what do you think of this? Oh, yeah. No, he did not. He uh, told, flashbacks. He told you.
0: Well, he might have said, Yeah,
2: this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. He might have told you. He, he, he did not ask your he opinion. He wasn't asking. Don't fuck with me. I like You must have been smoking way too much of that Cape Town he brown. He
0: wasn't asking me for my opinion. He was asking
2: me he was, how cool I thought it was. He, no. <laughs> no. He didn't ask you anything. <laughs> yeah. He just availed you of the opportunity to. To witness I, his greatness in gave the making. all his ideas. I'm like, you should call
0: them flashbacks, and they should be this big.
2: Wait, really? <laughs> oh.
0: <Uh-oh. laughs> Man, that would have yeah. been juicy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I, Misho keeps coming up in my head as far as Montreal, Montreal. That makes sense to me. Yeah.
2: So this era, why didn't you ever fuck with Arrow helmets?
0: Um, there weren't. A lot of them. There was the the accessibility. Okay. I was looking around here because of this being a ski town. Right. There are a couple of guys around here who might have had like landing hams. Yeah. And um, like Nestles or some yep. older shit, like some Kevin
2: Laycraft or yeah.
0: And they would never let you use them. Right. The two I think I found in this town, those guys were like, "It's not leaving my house." Right. You know, um, the arrow lids. I don't. I don't know. I think I had. Uh, you know, I had an Icaro, or an Icaro, whatever they're called. Yeah. And, you know, NCDSA, we went for a long time. That site was just helmet safety. Like, the downhill, like, we were we were all just going back and forth about what helmet's the safest, why this one is, you know.
2: Because you had... Oh, you guys are real fucking cool. We had... Uh, <laughs> we had...
0: Joe Lem, you know, everything had to be
2: D.O.T. Oh, yeah, that was such a miserable era. That was, um... For aesthetics.
0: Yeah. Um, the only arrow lids were, like, Biker.
1: Oh, yeah, like the Doc Go
0: Fast were, like... Uh, had one. Yep. And, um... Limo. Then, uh, we had this Veil Pass race out here, and, uh, a guy showed up with an arrow helmet... Beauchamp was his name. Okay. Beauchamp. And we were all looking at this kid like we thought we knew who all the arrow helmets went to. And uh, he's a Southern California kid, Malibu kid, I think.
2: What kind of arrow helmet? Like was it a doc go fast like the other ones or was it?
0: Um The one that almost has kind of the lobes that come out for your ears almost and it's like a shorty. It almost looks like a, Okay. It almost looks like one of those. So it, was, it u- might have uro- been a bad angle? Uh huh.
2: Like Aki's? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It almost looks like, uh,
0: what's the guy over, um, why can't I think of who's making
2: the the European Aero helmets? Um, bad angle.
1: Reach, maybe? Oh,
0: Reiche, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Stefan.
2: the Reach the was based on that yeah. bad angle.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that guy showed up. Um, we're like, damn, we thought all the Aero helmets were accounted for. The Azonic did its job. The Icaro, oh, again, we're all on NCDSA. We're all talking shit to each other. Your helmet sucks. This one's not safe. You'll crack that. You'll be in the hospital. Right, the long tail. Glad break break knowing fucking you. fucking neck. Yeah, and I bought a long tail. Um, <laughs> Thug life. <laughs> I thought, I got, um, I think I'm, I probably paid like 300 bucks for it. Yeah, that's about right, yeah. And I think I was on the second run, and I high-sided and went to the back of my head And it cracked the helmet up through the middle of it. And uh, I laid on the ground for a while, moaning, just moaning. Uh, And I had to crawl my way out of the woods, back down to where the car was, and call a friend to come drive me in my car home. I was messed up. Damn. And that, that was from all the energy being focused on that little point, like they said, like all that NCDSA
2: debate. Wow, you're like the only person I've ever known who actually like there's this this debate rages today. Like there's it's there's debate about this on Facebook right now uh-huh. about long tails and arrow helmets and how if that happens and like everybody's argument is like yeah, but it's never happened, but it has once.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can look at the design of the helmet, the way that I mean every crash I've ever gone to my head, um, I very will we'll, the helmet gets fucked up. I mean, you're, you're looking at, like... Yeah. You know, and if you're looking at, like, a paragliding helmet that's only made to, uh, I don't know what the fuck they're made for. A paragliding they, helmet is made you, for, like...
2: It's made for if you trip yeah, on, on launch or landing and right. just, like, bump your head. Like, it's not for... It,
0: that bar that you hold on to when you're flying around on no, That's a hang that,
2: glider. A paraglider doesn't even have that.
0: Well, if there's a handle... On the rope and it hits you in the melon, yeah, that's, that's, that's what the helmet's against, yeah. for. Not hitting your head with the handle because that helmet weighed nothing and offered no um, protection. You know, the bigger the bell, the bigger the displacement, that's where you get into Joe Lems, DOT. Right, oh, I mean, for sure, more than And GPS then everybody's going to argue because your helmet's heavier, it actually increases your speed on your way down to your melon, which, you know, that's, if, that's, yeah. Okay. If the air is thinner. Okay, well, so that answers my question, why you never <laughs> fucked with an arrow helmet. But, yeah, money.
2: It's just, it was just availability. Yeah. If the, there had been a dot Go Fast, like, for sale, you would have bought one.
0: Probably. And those, I got a weird face. I got a big chin. So, anytime I put on somebody's arrow helmet, I'm right up against the face of it. Right up against, yes. and if I land on my face, I'm like, there's nothing there. Yeah. It's the maker, you know.
2: What are you showing Look me? at the, my septum. Yeah,
0: that's not cool. What would you do?
2: I fucking went face first in the hay bales in an arrow helmet. Uh, Broke no, the shit out of it. I saw <laughs> you...
0: And, and the zip line.
2: That was a different one, yeah.
0: I saw you after Catalina.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a... My neck still messed up from that. Man. I got folded.
0: Yeah. I um, remember you bouncing off of your face. <laughs>
2: Hey, my face grill, totally fine, because I designed my own helmet to have a little more space in the nose. Mm-hmm. No problems here. Just my neck went, like, into my whole other body. <laughs> and, yeah, I, most of those Aero helmets are homemade. Oh, they're all homemade. But you're... Uh, like, don't don't let nobody tell you what a factory is. Right, you're absolutely <laughs> right,
1: yeah.
0: So, yeah, the Aero helmet was more yeah, accessibility, money, and... Um, yeah, I'd, I'd throw one on my head and be like... And people gave a shit about safety back then, amazingly. Yeah, it, it, there's a little bit of claustrophobic stuff
2: going on, too, in that aero helmet. Yeah, okay. That's an acquired taste, for sure. I mean, I just
0: feel like a really... Like,
2: okay. What's funny, I wore, I wore Nick's, like, regular full face the other day, and I hadn't worn a non arrow helmet in probably five years. And it was giving me kind of weird vibes because there was so much peripheral vision that I was seeing, like, trees and stuff over here and was, like,
1: looking around, like,
2: ah, I wasn't used to seeing stuff on the sides. (laughs) So I'd gotten really used to, like, looking out my little porthole, and it was almost discomforting to have more range of vision. So you make your own
0: helmets, obviously, and you make your own shield, I take it, the plastic. Have you ever had one just, you know, it's it's taut because it's rounded, and then while you're riding it cracks down the middle and just goes flat?
2: No, because I'm not a buster. I use polycarbonate, not acrylic. But I remember this story. So it throws a
0: mirror image (laughs) of what's on your left over on your right side and and vice versa? So if the guardrail is on your left side, it actually shows up in your field of vision on your right side reflecting?
2: No, Rob, I've never had that problem. Have you? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Never. Never. (laughs) Occasionally. (laughs) I make my own shit.
1: I know. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's so great.
2: So, through all this, like, this has to be the point in the story where we're getting into, like, 03, 04, Bainbridge, Munsville, and, like, I, you know, I want you to wax poetic to any degree that you want about that, about those places and what they gave to you. But this is has to be kind of the transitionary period where, like, biker and the dregs guys and limo like kind of start to fade away mm-hmm. that first like ironclad crew of like superhero pros who were kind of being held there by what i glean anyway by the gravity games and the money and the like the prestige and the sponsors and whatever that's like making that a living for them when that falls away, they seem to start to peel away from racing. Is that the case? And the technology
0: surpasses what their riding style was. So Right, and they didn't know, level up. it has his wheels that kind of change everything. Um, Jim Z has his trucks. There's some more aero
2: development going on. Um, just the development. Right, you start I, to see like <coughs> 2002, I start to see video of Mark Golter tucking with his one leg behind the other. Yeah. Now, now, Roger Hickey claims he invented that, but the first video, the first picture I see is Mark Golter, where he's tucking with one leg planted into his other leg, what we would call a modern tuck, and I see him just running away from people in races.
0: Yeah. Golter was... That flamingo,
2: I remember coming at you. Right, the same Um, way, like when I see a Brazilian now, and they look like an uppercase T, like their shoulders on top of a stick.
0: And that started to take the dregs guys out, um, as far as the technology and the riding style and the and the and the ability of the riders, because those guys, like, how long is that side by side foot thing going to work, you know, or your feet all the way up at the front? Or right or, a, or limo, cave, caveman talk like Limo on Indies, you know, or anyone on Mondo's or Cherry Bombs, Um and the courses changed too. Once the you know the technology of like had changed, oh, uh, like flywheels
2: would have been like bringing a gun to a knife fight compared to cryptos or Cherry Bombs.
0: Yeah i I went through all of that, like you know, going. You're, you're still before Sector 9 gets into the wheel market, too. We're still just, like...
2: Right. We were talking about this with Danny. The, like, the goddess of speed wheel was kind of a moment. hmm
0: Yeah. Like, Cludy and
2: I on those were just crushing people one day at Munnsville. Right. Um, now, what I always ask people about is that in this same time, that, like, 03, 04, when, like, flywheels, like, became the, the, just, like, the shit you had to have, avalas existed. hmm And it seems to me, like, if I could go in a time machine... And race downhill in two thousand four. I would ride Avalas and just grip every corner and annihilate everybody. Right, but no one did. Right, they were a slalom wheel, and right. slalom what was the like fuck. So, yeah. No, so, like I'm the progenitor too. To be like yeah. I, you know, slalom setups are like the hot tip for downhill now. And I, the this board that I was trying so hard to make for twelve years. Was in the trunk of my car the whole time. Right, right. Like, it was right in front of my face and I couldn't see it. So I got to give some credit to the people at that time too. I had those wheels too and I have, they're in the garage. I have
0: Avalas and 3DMs. Turner Avalas, Turners, maybe. Or yeah. Turner's with the, they're lathed. Right. You know where the lips come off because, and I remember running those, those white turners and they had a really tapered lip. Right. And you'd turn on them really hard. You'd like, and you could hear it folding over. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You could hear it like, uh, it, it would break sometimes. Right, it'd chunk. It'd just chunk right off. Um, but Like the grip of a Turner Avala had to be ferocious compared to a flywheel.
0: Right, right. And I don't know, okay. you know, I, I'd never heard of them. Right. Ah. I'd never heard of them. You know, I had only access to what all the downhill guys were. And you'd look at right. Slalom and you're like, what are those guys doing? Because we were already in a fringe sport, and I knew slalom was out there, obviously, but never knew anything about the equipment.
2: Right, and it's funny, like in 03, I mean, like we talk about Jim Z and his trucks, but the first commercial, well, technically the first commercially available precision downhill trucks were Roger Hickey's trucks, but they were not reverse kingpin, like it wasn't, wasn't what we call a modern precision truck, but Radical Talents came first, mm. 2002. I had those. Right, Yep. I know. Jim Z's were much later. Yep. And in like 2003, when you guys were still like stink bugging, not say you necessarily, but like stink bugging around corners in Montreal on luge trucks with cherry bombs, like slalom racers were riding like almost proto modern lipped wheels right. on full precision trucks with titanium axles. Like shit that's almost still contemporary, but it just didn't. There was no cross pollination between slalom and downhill at that time.
0: Yeah, there was no. Like when you look at a slalom guy standing up and doing the wiggle, throwing his elbows out, and you know, and your hips, and yeah, your sweep
2: and chop, you know, yeah. and you're doing the—what'd you call it? Sweep and chop. Okay. You got sweep the table, and chop the wood. You sweep the table, you chop the wood.
0: That looks, <laughs> but you, that looks like nothing like downhill. Why right. would that any of that ever work in downhill? And the irony is, it's like that's everything we use now. Right. You know, yeah, it's just the purity of turning. Like that's. Yeah, I, I think it was more to, like, speed. Like, we would look at those flywheels as, like, those are big, solid, and fast. Look at the cores. They've got to be fast. Um, and, you know, those, those trips to Maryhill, we were on, that was at a time, too, where you're, like, Kryptonics or ABEC-11s.
2: Right, and, like, an ABEC-11 would have just been a slaughter it, compared to Kryptos. Well, speed and grip. Well, the
0: only ABEC 11s at the time were flashbacks. Oh. So before the flywheel, right. I think his flywheels were luge. His fly, The flywheels were more just a luge wheel. Huh. And most of the guys were on 70mm flashbacks. And How they, <laughs> they, you know, the 70mm flashback versus the 70mm white crypto.
2: Right.
0: And remember we were at Mary Hill... Shit, it must have been like 105 degrees outside. Right. Road, road temp was probably, you know, like 130.
2: Oh, God. I mean, yeah. I, I raced to Maryhill where the finals, it was 107 degrees. I uh-huh. mean, just unreal.
0: In your one trip on, the, on a set of wheels. Yeah. Everybody sat in their car until it was your time to go to the starting line. Um, and there were guys with wheels on the... Air conditioning vents, you know, keeping their wheels cool, trying to keep them in the cooler of their car. Oh, we did that, man. We did that at Angie's for sure. We had wheels mm-hmm. in the cooler, uh, and and that was the Abec 11 meets crypto, and that was kind of at a time where cryptos were blistering. There were yeah. those bad I've seen a cores. lot of like red
2: cryptos with a bubble, mm-hmm. especially on luges. They tend to blow up, and that gave. Um,
0: those flashbacks, a lot of weight. And, I,
2: yeah, those were before gumballs. He didn't have gumballs out. Right, gumballs were more like 04. I mean, Chappitt will correct me on this one day. Very much looking forward to the podcast with Chappitt, by the way. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, that was... The, the, the technology changed. The courses changed. And those guys at Dregs, you know, they were getting older, too. They were all, you know moving on with their careers, families, um, and then that that Jim Z, um, even Connor. There was a, definitely a generation coming up that were, you know, would try anything, too. So any company that came out, there were plenty of riders who were like, I'll ride your shit for free. You know, just give me, right. you know... Uh, Trying to think of some of those companies now, but
2: I think it's like Street Missile. Like that's a brand that, like, <laughs> only like Roll and I have heard of. Like, and only because we know you. Like nobody knows about that. No, you had a pro model on Street
0: Missile. Yeah, and there were probably, from what I know, there were only probably four of them made. I've got I two.
2: so bad that I could get one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got two of them. I think um Cludy was on there. Freddie, me. Was Kafton? John Captain? I don't know. But if if Ian made more of those boards, I didn't know about it.
2: So they were made in Quebec? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and then there were all those boards coming out, too, from different companies. I mean, right. I mean this was like
2: the dawn of, like, land yachts on the – I mean, not that land yep. existed before that, but when land yachts was, like, moving into their place as, like, the premier downhill manufacturer.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, the DH
2: race was, like, starting to rule the landscape a little bit.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, the, was the Evo around?
2: Not yet. Because, like, Danger Bay 3 yeah. would have been 2003. I, I can't be quoted on when the Evo came out, but it couldn't have been until at least 2005.
0: He had that R4 or something. or a, There were a couple versions of the board before the the Evo. That was the... Um, I
2: know, I wish so bad that I'd taken pictures in Jody's basement. <laughs> he has, like, every iteration of every drop deck that he made, like, around the ceiling. Oh, God. One day. I mean, if we would, it would have been this year, but when the Sullivan Challenge returns 2021, we'll go and we'll get Jody on the podcast and we'll get it all. We'll get the record set well straight, but... Uh, yeah, I rode with him at um, your race. Um,
1: yeah, he came.
2: And he was on the r5 he was on something that i think was offset on each side no or? no it's flat in the front mm-hmm. and like this in the back so you put a like a 45 or 50 degree truck on backwards so it makes the rear end zero okay yeah <laughs> the r5 um it's beautiful i'm in the cooler okay yeah, um yeah i mean it. sure hook, yeah
0: Yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember all of this shit too as you're asking me.
2: I never I haven't really thought about a lot of this in a while. Well, that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. So this gets us to 2004. Let's get the chapter about the Vale Pass race. So what inspired you to become a organizer? I mean, from just someone who was like touring around and experiencing it. Um, well, I wanted everybody to see this hill up here.
0: Um I thought it would be fun to bring all the riders that I had been riding around with them the Dregs guys, the Santa Fe, Albuquerque who had all talked about well what do you got in Colorado you must have some great hills in Colorado. And back then Vail Pass to me was a great hill. It's an abandoned highway That's closed, it's closed down. Yeah. yeah. You know when it goes for
2: like and that's like a big deal. Like if Eight you can't miles. if you can't do like a techie, like tactical slide both directions in a contained space, like a lot of hills become not so great to ride. And it's not a it's a hill that all these
0: guys would show showed up for, and were like, "This hill is boring. It's really not that great." So you're but, telling us the Vale Pass was boring
2: back then?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: So it's all the surrounding hills again. Like I'm sorry, I got to stop for one second. I have to make a confession. I've never ridden Vale Pass Westside.
1: What? Never.
2: Uh, really? The West side? Not even once. The part of the hill you yeah, had, the, the, the abandoned highway, side. I've never ridden it, not even one time. You've never been to a single Vail Pass outlaw in the last 15 years? <laughs> no, <laughs> sir. It's, it's pitch
0: black out, <laughs> and we could go do it right now, and you'd have no problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've got no helmet and only my cowboy boots, but... <laughs> oh.
1: You sorry, I just got to say I've never ridden
2: it. so I don't know fuck so, all about it. So skip, but I am under the impression that it's boring. Skip Mark.
1: Super
0: fast. Skip Marcotte and I would go up there every day in the summertime, three, four times a day, and we would only ride the lower like five miles, and and you were hiking this or like walking back up? we had hiked. Early, then we figured out that we could get dropped off at the runaway truck ramp. And so you'd be hitchhiking
2: across. on I-70, like the main highway.
0: Well, we would, no, no, there's the, there's an on-ramp for the highway in Eastvale. Okay. And you can hitchhike from there and get a ride up and get dropped off on the highway, run underneath the highway and pop up on the okay. abandoned highway.
2: Got it. Okay, I think I know where that is. Like, for, I can, you can see it from...
0: So we would yeah. do that or get, you know, somebody to give us a ride. Hey, you're going to Denver today. Drop yeah. us off. And then we found out that it goes all the way up to the top of the, the pass. But it's a bike path. Right. So you then had to learn how to ride the bike path, you know, golf cart path wide, down from Vail Pass. And then we learned you could ride the east side. So, it took a while for us as locals to figure out how to skate Vale Pass. You know, back in the day, you'd go up there with, like, extra bearings, extra wheel, a tool, a backpack. You're going on this, like, adventure. It's going to take a while. You're riding Vale Pass. You might melt a wheel, you know. I go up there now. I might remember to put my shoes on. (laughs) You know, it's like, you go up there now. You're... You're in nature, there's it's beautiful. It's not any of the other roads that are around here. So to bring everybody to Vale Pass for a race, the side roads were kind of a draw too. Like that neighborhood, that neighborhood, that neighborhood. The neighborhoods around here because you know, they're dotted with 10 to 15 million dollar homes. Right, it's like, it's a
2: hill, it's a town made up of hills, like, that's it.
0: And beautiful pavement, because you're not going to drive your Ferrari on a shitty road. Right. You know, so all the hills around here were kind of the draw, too. So, once we got Vale Pass dialed, you know, the west side, top to bottom, the east side to Frisco, um, your skills got better, then you could start riding all the other stuff around here, too. So, when... Like the loco, the loco express came through. One year, Um, I don't. We rode Vale Pass, but it was a side road. Right, we hit. They were just on their way. Yeah, there, there was a whole bunch of other stuff we hit around here now that, like, Vale Pass was cool back in, oh four, oh five, oh six. It's still cool now, but it's not. Daybreak Ridge, it's not Bachelor Gulch, it's not some of these other roads around here that are just world class um, and that that was the other thing too, like coming up on Vail Pass <clears throat> for me I, I would get my skills down up there, kind of hone my tuck, get everything together it's, it's a good practice road you want to go test a set of wheels, you want to go try your new leathers out you know that it's a good test road. it's a right, great you feel
2: the difference between elements of your setup because it's so because it is so basic.
0: yep, you can spend the whole day up there just switching out a setup, switching out of bushing, and you know have that whole big open space to do it. Um, but then the other neighborhood hills around here, like world class stuff, like I always knew somebody from Colorado was going to take over the world, like when I was being called Colorado. I was riding Vale Pass and I'd go to all these other races and I'm like, my road ain't shit compared to, you know, what you guys have. And then I'd start to look around the state and I'd see like stuff around Boulder or stuff around Sea Springs or other roads around here where like, I'm not going near that because it, it's dangerous. <laughs> it's not Vale Pass. I need Vale Pass. Vale Pass is like baby steps now i mean it's totally it's it's a great beginner hill but something like cottonwood you know where right. it's like or do you ride lee canyon lee hill
2: lee hill road yeah really all the way to the top deer trail you ride deer trail oh fuck yeah okay
1: oh, fuck trail. man we rode deer all trail to we rode
2: deer trail before it got repaved that was <laughs> heinous <Jeez. laughs> yeah you I, go 70 miles an hour on old stage we gotta blow the stop sign
0: <laughs>
2: yeah better so, off do it
0: at night <laughs> I had been uh, riding my motorcycle around there recently and, and I thought about you guys and I was just like this is that's that's how the sport took off right I mean you ride what's in your backyard so I could only get as good as a Vail
1: Pass
2: <laughs> okay so okay so you so you opted to put a race on though because you wanted to bring the homies here and right. like share what you had yep and how hard was it to put that race on? We had uh, Joe from Timeship
0: Racing, me, um, the town council, insurance,
2: and... Um, and like both you, you and Joe Lem are like pedigreed silver-tongued devils. Yeah,
1: he's... <laughs>
0: he's um, my backing, so he was my insurance... He was telling me how to go about doing it. You know, Fuck, everybody needs the godfather. Get a clipboard, write everything down. You know, you get a porta a potty guy, have three. You got a hay guy, have three. Um, the, your first two are going to drop out on you. Um, so learned a lot from him and on my own, just doing it like, all right. Um,
2: but, like, but the town was kind of into it?
0: Yeah, yeah, but we um, had to do it out there. You know, Vail Pass, where we were doing the race, is it's like three, four miles out of town. Right, it's not in Vale properly. Like. Right, and that was that was the thing too. We had Teva games here. We had the what were the other games? We had a couple of outdoor summer games here. GoPro, GoPro games, Teva games. Could
2: not have been GoPro games in two thousand three.
0: No, it was pretty no. Bad, well, we we had the Teva games, but now they're yeah. they're yeah. renamed the GoPro games, and they've actually come to me. They're trying to. And shit, I think, was it you? Like, yeah, Justin's were, had some meetings. Yeah. we still working
2: on it. It's just, you know.
0: We can't find a venue within town that is accessible <laughs> for the spectators. Um, How about? Won't piss off. The, Vail Pass. And yeah, and then you go to Vail <laughs> Pass and you're like, well, you guys can go to Vail Pass and race there. But it's not technical enough. It's what not, if? The, the riders are like, well, this is Everyone sucks. wears a blindfold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have full moon, naked on acid. You know, and
2: that's been done.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah, like
2: I, like I can't compete against DT under those circumstances. So we had, um, we had all these guys show up, but
0: the the draw was we connected it to the High Plains Drifter in Breckenridge.
2: Okay, cool. So which was a a slalom race, listeners, if you don't know.
0: Right. So the slalom guys, part of their weekend was a trip down Vale Pass. So the overall points for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday included the downhill. So you would go to Breckenridge Saturday, Sunday for, like, you know,
2: GS. They had had fully fledged, like, GS hybrid and tight, and they also had, like, a weird skater cross thing with, like, two slalom courses, and then they'd, like, come together in, like, a hay bale chicane and, like, back into slalom courses. It was whack, (laughs) but, I mean, for the time it was interesting, I guess, except, like, Gary Fluke could push in it. I don't know.
0: We had on the on Vail Pass on the race day up here, you know, you had um Steve Olsen, John O'Shea, Hackett, um, Michael Dong, yeah, um, the, the top slalom guys at the time, and they couldn't go down Vail Pass, right. they couldn't handle the speed. If you had put a cone on the road, right, they would the have GS'd the out smoked of it, everybody, like Kenny Molica yeah, would have roasted uh, yeah. it, and and that was that was kind of the fun to see these slalom guys who were like, I know they're doing every bit of like 35,
2: you know, through cones and veil Pass." You're like, it's wide open. But it's just like on your snowboard. Like how yep. different is it to like bang lines on a groomer versus to give it a flat base and just like accept the speed. It's right. not the same. Even if the actual like quantified speed were to be identical, the feeling of just letting it run is not the same. Right. We had, um, Quite a few guys who I looked up
0: to in the world of, like, skateboarding and, like, badasses who were like, nah, this ain't my
2: game. Right. (laughs) like,
0: well, really? This is very... Or, like,
2: Olsen's there in his, like, leather jacket and his, like, helmet with the goggles and the whole costume, and he's like, I can't do the hill. And you're like, really? (laughs) So we had um, the Downhill guys got to put a show
0: on. Um, I don't know who was there at the time. Flint, me, Dino, Aki... Um, Brunson Dave Price.: Price, he was around. I think he was there for one of them, but we had, we had him two years in a row. Um, there was a plane crash. That was the fun that was a fun time. We totaled a BMW. Okay, so
2: that was a fun day. Around. Okay, so <laughs> back this up, because I've heard this story before, and I want my Excuse listeners you. to experience this. So why did you have a BMW? So, Vail has <clears throat> um,
0: Vail has a lot of swanky hotels, Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, um, and Vail has an automobile sponsor every year to provide shuttle services to the swanky hotels. So, the official vehicle of Vail that year was BMW, the official car sponsor, and we needed vehicles to shuttle spectators up the hill to the race so the race course is a closed road we have access with these brand new BMW X3s and X5s and we're doing like you know 100 miles per hour uphill as you do. On, on the closed road, <laughs> There's state troopers on I-70 that parallel this closed road that I'm sure could see us. Yeah, but it's a closed road.
2: You, you drive drunk. Yep. It doesn't matter. So,
0: um, you know, we had told him, well, I think the race was Mother's Day or Mother's Day weekend. Oof, man. Classic. Um, and we said. <laughs> mother's Day
1: weekend, we crashing said, aircraft. We said, to BMW, BMW, we, we
0: said to BMW, you know, we've got to, we've got to get these mothers up the hill to uh, watch their kids race. Silver Tongue Devil. <laughs> so they gave us these vehicles, and we were using them as farm vehicles, basically, you know, throwing hay bales to get them on the course. And, you know, you got brand-new BMW black X5 with a leather interior, and there's hay bales on the roof, and hay bales poking out the back of it. So the cars are covered in hay. You know, I I remember pulling over to pick some people up as they were walking up the hill, and they're like, you know, I like, hey, come on, hop in, give you a ride up the hill. Do you mind if our dog gets in? No, come on, get in, bring the dog. You
2: don't have to wipe off your feet. You know, there's and then like, as soon as they were in, you like snapped the dog's neck as you took <laughs> off towards the top of the hill. We had uh, a couple shuttle
0: drivers who were getting really good at driving the Beamers up and down the road. Oh, <laughs> and uh, at the top of the hill, there was a uh, like, gravel pit and a gravel mound And one of our drivers, it's a good friend of mine, was catching air off of this hill at the top. So he'd drive all the racers to the starting line and then go to the top of the hill to make his U-turn. But his U-turn included this jump. And (laughs) at at the end of the day, we had ran the finals. And I think it was me, Jimmy Flint, Aki, and Brunson. In the final. And... Who won? I think Aki won. I got second. Ah. Brunson, then Flint. Flint might have stood up before the finish line, throwing his arms out in victory, and there was like another 50 feet. Oh, (laughs) no! He blew it.
2: (laughs) So another illustrious second place. Mm -hmm.
0: So Flint and I are in the back of the BMW smoking a joint and he's passing it over to me and I can hear my buddy drive and do the, Hey, y'all watch this. And I looked out through the front windshield and I could see him pointing right to the jump and I could see his tire marks that throughout the day got higher and higher on this bank (laughs) that he was jumping off of. And the next thing I remember him hitting the jump and Jimmy and I looking at each other like. From the roof or ceiling of the vehicle, airborne, trying to pass a joint, doing the like, oh shit, slow motion face. <laughs> the BMW bangs down on the front end after being airborne, and kind of limps away. Or uh, we got out of the car, and the front wheel was bent into the frame. Um, so. We were able to change it to the donut because the donut was a little smaller. Donut was smaller and it could actually fit in the wheel well, you know, without rubbing. And uh, we parked it at my place. I took the other vehicle the next day over to Breckenridge for the skateboard racing that was taking place. You know, the High Plains Drifter. And the lady from BMW had called me, and she's like, "You know, where are our cars? You're supposed to bring them back." I'm like, well. I'm over in Breck with one of them now. The other one's over at my place. I came back from Breckenridge, and she was over at my place. <laughs> I, the front door to my apartment, I guess, was open, and she had gone in, and there were, you know, just beer cans and weed <laughs> and stuff because all the skateboarders were over at my place the day before partying. Um, and that BMW with the donut and the hay all over it was out in the parking lot I pulled into the other beamer that was also covered in hay and uh, she was in tears. I felt terrible. I was like, um, my buddy who was driving it, um, <laughs> he was trying to do a three point turn and he went off the road a little bit and he might have hit a rock. Um, and they took the vehicles away, drove them away, and I think when they started one of them, you could hear like the rattling of the motor or something coming from inside under the hood um so i went to work that day and i'm in the restaurant in the kitchen cooking and a guy shows up in the back of the restaurant comes in through the back door excuse me can i talk to you for a second it's like there's stickers all over our vehicle you got to come and get those stickers off so i grabbed a razor blade and a rag and i went and grabbed you know skate stickers that were on the windows that scraped them off and I had said to the guys, you know, what's going to happen with the other BMW? Um, he's like, oh, it's totaled. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so who pays for that? He's like, insurance. It's cool. It's covered. <laughs>
2: he's like, it's on a flatbed on its way back to Denver. <laughs> like you literally like kickflip the BMW and landed fully bolts.
0: <laughs> my My buddy had a kid on the way at the time, too. He was, like, sweating it so bad. He's like, I can't pay for this. I don't know how I'm going to afford this. I'm like, what are you doing jumping it, you know? <laughs> um, but the cool thing was, yeah, BMW um, insurance took care of it. And then the following year, Volvo was the official town sponsor. <laughs> and Volvo ended up giving us cars. What? They yeah, they didn't know anything <laughs> about it. I went up and rode Trail Ridge one day with Dubois and Coop. One of you guys, might, you guys might have been there too, but I stole a Volvo from town and, and rode up there and like, it's probably a two hour drive. I did it in like a half an hour. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah Town of Vale. if you need a vehicle, I think Chevy is our current sponsor. Good to know. Yeah. But yeah, we, the, the Vale Pass race is one airplane, one BMW, um... That's about it. No other... I don't think anybody ever got carted away from skateboards. That's pretty good. Yeah.
2: Who won the second year? Uh, See, the two years...
0: One year Aki won it. One year I won it. Nice. I think Aki won the first year. I won the second year. Sweet. Yeah. I got a trophy somewhere.
2: So what point did you go from the red suit to the black suit? Um... Shoot. I don't know. The red suit didn't fit anymore.
0: Um classic story yeah it got to be like high waters and um yeah i couldn't really zip it up too well i think i had the red suit
2: for the last time around 2002 okay so that was pretty early on that you got to the black suit. yeah so tell me about you're the first person i've had credible info on this for Credible. infamous awesome. bomb squad mm-hmm. um sweet stockholm so when did sweet. you go to
0: stockholm um, and there was a race in Stockholm two two thousand six. Okay, I think I, one of those IGSA tours. Okay. Um, so infamous bomb squad was um Andreas um, Johansson. Andreas, where's he from? Stockholm. Okay, and Down he nowhere. was uh, Marcus Riedema's european igsa guy okay so when igsa was during doing the euro races Mm -hmm. andreas was kind of his like timekeeper liaison um the guys in sweden andreas um eric
2: frederick um it's a tight group there's not a lot of hills Right, and like I keep coming up against this. I really want to get Frederick on the podcast one of these days, but this, like, the most amazing thing to me that Sweden has produced three World Cup champions despite having no fucking hills.
0: When I went there, when I landed there, and they wanted to skate, we went behind a shopping center, and we were skating the loading dock, the ramp. What? Yeah, I was with Eric Lundberg, And Frederick Lindstrom skating a loading dock behind what would have been, like, a Safeway. And we were just walking up it, bombing it, walking up. Then they took me to a bike path in a park that
2: was... I I, I can't even describe how lame it
1: was.
2: (laughs) Like, my theory on the matter is that, like, people from places like that with weak-ass hills... They really like they hone their craft because they have to learn to milk the speed out of a nothing hill. Yep. Like their tucks are perfect. Their push is amazing. Like because all they do is race each other down the fucking loading dock.
1: Yeah,
0: and their their hill, the one hill we drove like a couple hours to get to, was I don't even know if it had a turn. I don't think it had a turn. And um, they were jazzed on it. I mean, they were super pumped on this road, and I was too because I, I was like. I just got off a plane, jet-lagged out. I'm in, like, the land of Vikings. And that's the other thing, is they're all Vikings. You know, they're... They are all very tall and statuesque, and, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't... I didn't get it. The bomb squad, though, was just um, Andreas' group of um, a handful of maybe a dozen of us who were all pretty much just potheads. Oh. There is a... Cause like the patch is like one of the
2: fucking coolest,
0: isn't it? Yeah, that patch is cool. It's um, probably thought up on a pot farm in
2: Switzerland by a guy who was you know. Like, we'll get a we'll get a picture of it, listeners, so you can see what I'm talking about. But I've I've seen it around a little bit, and I saw it in Rob Suit and uh, TB. TB has it. Whoa. T- Chorn. Chor, Chorborn, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T, you know TB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, that was the other fun thing. Was learning all the Scandinavian names and the pronunciations, and traveling around those with those guys in Europe was was a lot of fun.
2: Tell me about um, the house you stayed in with all the squirrel taxidermy.
0: Now, that <laughs> I was pretty sure that was Rhymer or uh, Scoot, but that no, it was, was you. Now I went into the house. Oh, okay. Now <laughs> there was this was in uh, Jungholz, Austria. And um, the guy offered his house to... Kyle, was it Kyle Martin and Scoot? Kyle but, didn't go to Europe until later. Okay. But, you know, the thing was in Jungholz, somebody would have like a persimmon tree or a pear tree and they'd make brandy out of it. If somebody offered you a little hooch, you wouldn't turn it down. If somebody And people would offer you all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like home, homemade liquor
2: in like backwoods towns in, uh-huh. in dramatic Europe is a big thing. Well, you'd have so much dirt vodka yeah i
0: i had um an evening with some of that homemade pear brandy and we went over to the local hunter taxidermist house okay and on the stairs going up like his entryway stairwell up he had squirrels that he had taxidermied into different like (laughs) playing like positions like they were running up the stairs like looking at you and um I'm not sure if he had the cat, like a taxidermied cat, but he was the local hunter and taxidermist. And somebody else had stayed there that night. I was like, <laughs> no, no, that's not for me. But yeah, those, that's another one of those getting out and meeting people and traveling. And like skateboarding was almost secondary. You're like, right. dude, we're in Perigou? Like, where, where the hell is this? You know? Um, I wasn't
2: going to beat Kevin Reimer. But it got a cool taxidermy story, you know? Right, so, so this is a point in your career that like, you know, all of us get to experience at some point, but, where, and like, no offense, but like, by the time I met you, you were already kind Washed of, a, up. kind of a relic. <laughs> yeah. And, and not to say that like, you weren't capable, but it was like, We'd come to Vail to skate, and, like, you'd take us around all the hills that you wished you could have ridden if you'd learned how to slide. Right. You know? Like, it was already kind of like that. <laughs> but I was old when I got into it. Right. And you know, Everybody was too. at that time.
0: Like, your generation really took over not only the skill level and the, the, the next level of roads that we could ride and the speed, but also just the market, like, the, the, the whole business
2: end of it like right well gear went ape shit around 2007 and like from 07 to 2012 just like the everything was just on warp drive in terms of advancements i I was
0: 37 damn i mean how was i gonna how was i gonna benefit from you know all these great developments in the sport when i could barely bend over you know anymore like damn i'd already had like a dozen concussions doing this you know, like, so, all right, McKendree to the line, and you're like, "Who am I racing?" Uh, some kid named Madam, right? You uh, were you were in my very who's first. Who's been
2: winning everything for the last two years? You <laughs> were in my very first heat at Maryhill. Really? Yep. Aww. You and Danny Connor, Jesus. and Danny Connor barely made it in because back in the day, listeners, there was no such thing as rep-a-charge racing because qualifying in IGSA took two whole days, and it was the goddamn worst. But <laughs> Uh at Maryhill, so it's a 96-man bracket, if you didn't qualify 96th or higher, that was just it. It was just a, a full-on cutoff. And especially with a race with, you know, they allowed 225 people, and that was kind of rough. Like, two-thirds of the field just, like, didn't get to Sunday. So Danny Connor qualified 97th. And on the morning of the race, Tim Del Rosario, who was, like, another hot, you know, junior prospect at the time. Venom went to the hospital with a staph infection. (laughs) And uh, Danny, who was maybe a little bit melancholy about just barely missing the race, uh, had gotten into the Budweiser's right around daybreak (laughs) and was informed uh, right around the time the race was going to begin at like 1 in the afternoon that he had made the bracket. (laughs) So Danny lined up on the start line. Uh, with myself and Rob McKendry, and because he was 96 qualifier, we were also in the heat with number one qualifier Martin Segrist. Oh
0: shit! Was that the year Martin had like fallen on his face and bashed his teeth in? That
2: was earlier. In, that was a different year. That was earlier in the history. But yeah. when he was he was skating a bowl in Portland with Billy Bones and smashed all his teeth out. Oh, we took him to a Cajun restaurant that night too, with all the <laughs> spicy food. It was so so painful. To he, skates, he skates. He skates in a full face to this day. <laughs> and, and rips, but like he's never going back. We probably. But could. yeah, but yeah, Rob, you were in my very first heat. In Mary Hill.
0: I, what happened?
2: I mean, I advanced with Martin. That's all I know. Oh, oh shit.
0: Danny and I went back to that beer cooler.
2: <laughs> that sounds plausible.
0: Yeah, uh, I, um, I was already like you said. Well, no, like I said, washed up when, um,
2: when I. <laughs> you got
1: something to say, Nick? <laughs>
2: But that was cool, too. Was the thing was, like, when See, you... Oh, uh, yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> oh, you know how You got
1: it. Doesn't I not in years. But
2: I know I haven't, I haven't got got in years, but I wanted to let it happen because, you like, you just pointed and I wasn't going to, like, be like, oh, no, I didn't do it. What happened? A man's got to have a code. So He's got such yeah. code. I, I'm going to poke my hole first, though. Just so it's easier. He had
0: the knife out, he was going to puck the hole But I, the I took a little
2: sip down but from the top, it, had modified much. my beer. No, really. uh, not that. I, I haven't got, gotten years, you, man.
0: I know, you haven't. So the game, Rob, is...
2: Mm. <laughs> 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 oh, give, him, right. give him the spiel. If
0: we, if we tell you the rules, you're in it for life.
2: It's called oh, beers for life. That's how I got it. If this. we tell you the rules, you're in I'm for like, life. What is this? And you have to play...
0: You have, yeah, to or or to the gotten, or you can or you time. can
2: stay ignorant and that's fine. Stay
0: <laughs> ignorant. It's up to you. How long does it take to learn these rules? About five oh, seconds. Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's very simple. There's one rule. There's. But if you know the rule, you're in the game for the rest of your life. So.
0: And what what's the penalty?
2: Well, um, I'm I'm experiencing you <laughs> it.
0: You just have to drink your beer, so it's not that bad.
2: Okay. Let's do Unless, it. Unless you're really right. full. Unless you're really full. Okay, let me tell because I got the microphone on. So, Beers for Life. Wait a second. I can't tell it's on the air. Oh. That's okay. I'll just cut it out. One not you guys tell <laughs> So the
0: game is, like, if we're all drinking beers.
2: <laughs> all right, so we got Infamous Bomb Squad. Yeah,
1: nice work, boys. Yeah, we're doing all right.
2: <laughs> uh, also, I just. Ruthlessly got robbed with Beers for Life, you know. <laughs> oh, do I just, I, I, I just... As soon as he joined. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a... You, know,
1: like, <laughs> you did house. this to yourself.
2: We, yeah, you, we we, we, you. we told... We didn't say you had to join. All right. All right, that's so... So what I want to get to, you know, cause I, and, and gosh, we could talk about so much more. Maybe we, we might get more tomorrow. We'll see where we end up. Because um, <coughs> there's so much on here, like... Tell me a little bit about Rio, Rio de Janeiro. <coughs> hmm. Rio,
0: Rio, uh, I got my <coughs> ass kicked. <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> <coughs> so, <laughs> went down there with uh, IGSA. Really, probably one of the coolest tracks I've been to.
2: This is the one like uh, the the one with the the Jesus at the top like <coughs> no no
0: this is the jungle um i guess one of the former brazilian kings had a palace out in the jungle and this was like his playground it had been overrun with <coughs> Jesus <laughs> <coughs> so Rio's course was a jungle course and it had little markers in the turns to tell you <coughs> Jesus Christ <coughs> I still didn't finish right. I'm not playing the game right <coughs>
2: you did this to
0: yourself <laughs> there you go So,
2: Jungle Course.
0: Yeah, you can't tell what turn you're in, because they all look the same. Turn 12 looks like turn 2. It was uh, Chinese View was the name of the hill. Vista Chinea, or something like that. <coughs> so, just making sure it you marks you're, you're good, you're good. on. Um. Anyway, Killer Course, couldn't wait to race it. Went out with... Um, a couple guys that night before the the race in a bar and uh they don't like Americans at that time maybe even now
2: oh they really <coughs> don't like Americans uh, <laughs> so
0: i'm pasty white cuz uh i've been snowboarding don't get much sun and uh also i sound like an american um quite these guys are uh, gesturing. <coughs> Son of a bitch. So, guys are gesturing to me like they're going to kill me. I'm dumb, drunk American. <coughs> we got to start this over.
1: Just right.
2: Okay. I remember, so, yeah. I remember my first time smoking weed. Wacky tobacco.
1: Damn. Yeah, so
0: so George Bush is the president. Nobody likes Americans. The thing to do is to travel with a Canadian patch on your shit. And I was having a blast um, out drinking in Brazil. These guys were looking at me like they wanted to kill me. Bartender, <coughs> <coughs> fuck!
1: <laughs>
0: Bartender hands me the tab. You need to leave. I get cocky. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. These guys have arms as big as my thighs. Tribal, tribal, like tattoos, jiu jitsu, looking crazy, right? Blood in their eyes. Brazilian surfer fighters. <coughs> <coughs> um. I walk, I walked out. <coughs> You're not gonna be able to use any of this. Oh,
2: yes, we are. <coughs> this, this here is a period piece.
0: Oh shit. <coughs> so I walk, I walked out. I was with uh, Dusty Werner from South Africa. <laughs> Uh, you're you're going to have to put music to this to make it interesting. Uh, some Brazilian samba. <coughs> Fuck. <coughs> All right. So I get out on the street, walk about half a block, and it was like out of a movie where you hear the door open behind you, and those three or four guys who wanted to kill me in the bar now can pretty much do it because we're outside. I was much safer, probably inside. And I ran out of my shoes while they chased me back to the hotel. I think right at the curb of the sidewalk to go up to the hotel, I might have got a shove in the back or tripped. And when I went down to the ground or ended up on the ground, um, I started getting kicked. Um, If I covered up my... Abdomen. They were kicking me in the head. I'd cover up my head. They'd start kicking me in the guts. And I think, from what I was told, the hotel security came out to chase them away. And the only reason they were able to do so was because they were armed. The security, the hotel security was armed. So I had uh, not only... Been kicked, but when I fell forward, I put my hand out and um, messed up my hand. I think I dislocated like a couple fingers in my thumb. <coughs> Damn. <coughs> so I couldn't skate the next day. Couldn't move very well, but couldn't put a glove on and laid, <coughs> laid in a <coughs> luge case in the jungle. With butterflies flying around on morphine, while everybody else went to play on the road, and that was my Brazilian trip.
2: I mean, that sounds okay.
0: Yeah, it was pretty good. I um, I was afraid to go anywhere. Um, I didn't want to leave the hotel. I just gotten beat up, and all Brazilians looked the same to me, so I wouldn't have been able.
2: Bro, that's racist.
0: <coughs> and uh, well, they beat me up because I was American, so. Okay, all
2: right, <laughs> so, I mean, so yeah, potato potato <laughs> I was I don't know. did you ever go to Teutonia?
0: No, no, me neither. um I would love to go back to Brazil, and all the people that were involved were like, Come back, this is not how we are, you well, know depending on
2: the year, man, Rob, I would love to go to Teutonia with you, oh shit, that could be a really cool trip,
0: yeah, I'm afraid i mean that road oh yeah i
1: mean like that's just it though it's like (laughs) i like i like i gotta
2: take a run like i gotta ride the hill because it's just it is what it is but like but i want to see it like i have this romantic obsession with the like like we were talking about south africa that like the impermanence of life like blood in their eyes moto boys death bomb the fucking hill culture that is just so unique to that to those people yeah, I had, um, the the people are,
0: just as you said, you know, they're, they're, it's a, every day is a life-death situation for them, you know, the flavellas and the danger of the drugs and the corruption and just driving around there and just being in, and that's Rio or uh, Sao Paulo, but I think Teutonia is a whole nother world, like. That's from what I understand. To me, like, that's just
2: another one of those spots (coughs) that it's, like, it's a piece of pavement that's a common thread through this whole narrative that, like, it's immortal in its own way. And even just, like, just to see it in person.
0: Yeah, I get that. You know, I would love to see Teutonia. I would um, probably vibe out on it just as hard as you're talking about it. You know, have that moment where you're, like, shit went down here. You know, it's kind of that like Barrett, or right, you right. Know, you
2: stand, you stand on it, and it echoes. Like it's Signal just, Hill, right. Um, you know the. It was like going to Laguna Seca and like standing right. on that on that turn. Like, it was so funny. The first year of the Laguna Seca race, the or well, the first year of the modern one, obviously, when we got to go back there. What year was that? Twenty fourteen or something. Oh, thirteen, fourteen. Uh, and we were on the the last turn that like that the hard right before the finish line and i was just like bent down like i was just like feeling the pavement and like all the other racers like thought i was like studying the pavement like oh yeah i got to figure out what derailer but but that wasn't it at all right like i was just like this is where it fucking happened like right. this that corkscrew like... man that's right a, that... i had to go skate down the corkscrew yeah that's uh i actually i have track. a little water bottle like it's still like a shitty you know like event water bottle full of gravel from the gravel trap on the corkscrew i am just like that's I had it's gone real. out there
0: to do some testing, and uh, I was over the top. I could not believe I was going to be able to ride my skateboard down the corkscrew. Yeah. And um, the week I was getting ready to fly out to Laguna, I was snowboarding here and went off of a booter on the hill and got in the air. Everything went quiet. As I went backwards and knew I wasn't going to be able to land it. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, this is not going to be good. It's just quiet. And as soon as my board hit the snow, it got really loud. You know? (laughs) Bang! Boom! Everything just went to shit. I think I um, tore something in my ankle. And I had to go out to, yeah, I went out to Laguna on crutches. And... uh, watched everybody else play skateboards ah, on a you trash. know the world famous track but there are those those tracks like you're talking about like not even tracks hills for hills you know like there's hills around here I vibe out on you know like stuff around here I've I've ridden for years that I'm like man I've seen the biggest bear of my life in my life you know on this hill right over here or uh I almost got eaten by an Audi in the roundabout right, right here you know and like but yeah Teutonia would be the track um what's another one for you
2: oh man in terms of like I mean like that, there are places I've never been like that I have that I feel like I want to go for sure but and Teutonia is one of them but even like spots where just I don't know whatever for whatever reason we have attachment to them but just like uh, the Danger Bay track is like such it's such nothing but it meant so much for so long Lombard Street oh, yeah, you know, skated that? I've never skated Lombard Street. I've, like, been there and looked at it, but it was, like, I was there, like, Saturday at 1 p.m., and it was just solid cars, and it was not happening, but, like... But, yeah, that's totally another spot that's just, like, you gotta do it. It's it's a skateboard legend spot. Even Like, most of these legendary spots suck shit to skate, but it's not really what it's about. <coughs> you know, any of those classic, classic race hills, but... Dude, I saw you skate What the f- Spillway was that?
0: Baldy Spillway. That is ridiculous. Yeah. That was, that was just insane. I was there that day watching it. No, I was there for the...
2: I was there watching you session it and no, we the didn't. Rogers No, brothers. No, no, no. We, didn't. we skated like... We, we were sliding down it. Right. So this is a session. I've talked about this. That was a fun day where it was you, me, Mercado... Jimmy Flint and John Rogers, right? Eclectic crew, right. and we went out just to skate the full pipe. Yeah, and like we had a rad session on the full pipe, and then we were checking out the uh, the spillway. And so this was back when you were into Swiss bobbing.
1: We're gonna have to talk about that a little bit. But
2: at the spillway, we started. We were sliding down the spillway on paint can lids, just like dicking around, right? Yeah. Yep. And you found a plastic sled. The super whomper.
1: <laughs>
2: I don't know about like I remember everything I've ever seen. Or heard. This shit. Is like, I remember the super womper And John Rogers, John Rogers, brilliant all-around skateboarder. He was like tearing it up in the full pipe. And he had this setup with him that was a uh, it was a pocket pistols Jason Mitchell board. Like with the Formica, like it was a double kick, but he had Randall 150s on it and zigzags. And he was starting at the top of the spillway and like putting it into a pendulum slide. And, like, doing, like, a septuple pendulum all the way to the bottom. Right. It
0: was like a golf shot. Like, you'd have to do it Right, but it was like,
2: all the way down. And that's all we were doing. But I remember Mercado and I were talking about it on that day. Like, it has to be possible to bomb this. But, like, who's going to do it? Like, holy shit, that'd be so amazing. And I held on to that for, like, 10 years. And there were two things. Like, there were two things that I always, I had never seen anyone do that I really wanted to do and they were just four wheels down skate straight over a cattle guard
1: <laughs> i saw that shit. and
2: and and straight line the spillway
0: <laughs> dude i remember you trying to work it out there that day like you did it 10 years later how long how much yeah. later was it really 10 years
2: we would have been there in '09. yeah and i did it in 20 20- 17 I think I mean it was no it was a lot later but and it was like I, I had it in my head I was like fuck it has to be doable I've got to do it and so what I did is I took uh, uh, Max Caps and Key came out and like Dubler and Roller was there and we went to Home Depot and got a bunch of brooms because we knew the runout was going to be like full of silt and I knew that if I made all my friends help me sweep the runout, that I had to, I do, had it. to do it like yeah. I wasn't going to be like sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, but thank you for appreciating oh, that. the like Going down the spillway is like, that's some shit I never need to do again. No. Ever, it's... ever, ever, ever. <laughs> and to my knowledge, the only other person in the world who's done it from the top is Tim Dell. I couldn't imagine anybody else doing it. Right. I mean, seeing you trying to work it
0: out and everybody trying to work it out that day. Like I said, it was this golf shot where you'd come in. I don't know if it was from the right to the left. At it, this it bends point. left. Yeah. But it's
2: banked, yeah, banked to the left as well.
0: And you, you'd see somebody just trying to hook, hook it away from the wall. And then, there, was it you or who was it that had their slide gloves down and they were melting their hands? It was oh, a long so
2: time hot. ago, like in 2007 or eight. Billy Bones, uh, Noah Sakamoto, and Rizzo That's were all was, sliding yeah, down it was, on hard wheels. And yep. they had like yeah like golf shot it like that yep. but you know we hadn't even considered that it was possible to just straight line it,
0: and it was scary to walk up.
2: Oh yeah, it's like it's steeper than stairs. I mean it's it's <laughs> it's twice as steep as the steepest street in San Francisco.
0: All right. So what is that your bucket list of hills or?
2: Uh yeah I mean like Teutonia is on there and like I don't know if there are some other like epic ones to conquer I can't really think of that many more. I've never seen your name come up at uh, Newton's. I've been there once. Okay. And I was like, I got like a top 10 finish, but I was kind of unremarkable. Yeah. But I've been there. You know, I skated that track and I'm glad I did. I'd love to go back. It's super cool, but I don't think I'll ever be super competitive there.
0: Now, uh, this is turning into my interview of you. Are you super competitive anymore? How old
2: are you? 29. Oh, fuck. This is the hard part, man. That, like, so. I'd say I'm coming up against this part of my career where I'm like, when I go out and skate with Minsky and Dana and like Nick Brahms and like the guys who are really, really living it right now, I can tell that I'm off the pace. But I think I probably have it in me to reinvent myself one more time and to get back on the pace if I want to. But I don't know if I'm going to. We'll see and I'm really having to figure out so I want to talk to you about this too cuz everybody who's been through this I'm really interested in this obviously cuz I have a little bit of a personal obsession with it but trying to figure out if I can be who I am and not who I was does that make sense that if there's a if there's a place for me in this space where you know, I don't want to be the guy who's like coming up to you and telling you that I know what I'm fucking talking about, but I'm not prepared to back it up anymore. And if there's any value in me still being around, if I'm like that. Or if, you know, if it's like if I'm not ready to dress for war anymore, if I need to hang it up and kind of disappear. I've I've been lucky to
0: see different incarnations of who you are because I'm old. <laughs> right. You know, I yeah, got you, to you've see, been around. I think I got you. You know, you probably got drunk with me
2: before you were
0: old enough to get drunk, right?
2: I mean, Rob, I was six months sober by my 22nd birthday, so. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> I think everybody yeah. forgets that. When you uh, when you were coming up and uh, it, you were like a slalom kid, you know, yeah. we were all like watching you kick everybody's ass. In, was there a junior's?
2: I never raced juniors in slalom, but I raced am. I, we, did, I raced amateur for a season. But IGSA was... Oh, uh, so in, in IGSA, I, I did two <coughs> juniors races. I raced juniors at Maryhill in 2008, that same year where I raced you in my first round heat in open, and then I raced juniors at Benelli the same year. So if That you, year I was 17.
0: I think you reinvent yourself at 30 years old um, you're you're an old man now to all these kids. That's I know crazy. it's it's weird That's Isn't when it, I got the, like, into when I look
2: it. at the kids now who are like twenty to twenty three. You know who are really killing it, and like I feel like I'm getting old. They might, you know, you might have
0: another run at winning if they just you know give it to you out of respect. Huh. The, they're like oh, there goes old man Zach. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. It, I think you can do whatever you want. You've proven that a number of times in this sport. I mean, you're you're having fun with it still, either doing the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, even, even at 30 years old, you're not even 30, to be able to go, I wonder if I want to do this anymore, you know, and still have another 10 years to kick the shit out of a lot of people. I mean, there's... It, I, I never trained for it. That was the big deal, too, because I never went and physically got in shape for any of these races. Well, and that, My, like, that
2: didn't come along until a long time later. I mean, we've talked about this uh, with some other folks about how, like, there was a turning point around 2012 where it was, like, it was no longer realistic to win the party and the race anymore. Right. That just, that person couldn't exist, and it was romantic and beautiful to, like, See Scoot stay up all night, you know, just like shit canned, you know, could be blindfolded with a shoelace because he'd smoked so many joints and then still line up next to Misho and kick his ass anyway. Like that was so epic for those of us who were not athletes and who like really liked the idea of it being skateboarding, not a sport. But it evaporated in 2012 when the first couple of people started going to the gym and they were so unbeatable if you didn't get on that level.
0: Right. And you would, you would go to the race going, if I put in any effort, I'd be able to beat this guy. Right. But I'd much rather, like, make sure that the cooler is full. Right. You know, or the idea that, like, okay, on your market set, go, I know how many times I can kick – I know what my gait is. I know how to, okay, what's the next thing? Okay, how are my rights? How are my lefts? Go backwards from the finish line. Where do I want to be on turn 36? It doesn't matter so much on turn three or six. How much do I weigh? What durometer should oh, I yeah. use? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's There's a whole thing. There's all this thinking that, you know, like, do my leathers fit? When was the last time I cleaned them? Am I aero? Right. You know, all this stuff. Should I put tape on my laces? Does that, you know, all these little things come into play where you're like, I'll just have a beer. I'll just go, you know, you can find these other guys that are just like, yeah, come on, have a beer. Why are you putting tape on your laces? You think you're going to beat this guy? <laughs> like, Right. So I think, you know, like going back to what you're saying, at 29, you still have some time. You still got to, you could easily drop in and, and, you know, not have to worry about tape in your laces as much as I do or right. like my my leathers are you know gaping wounds like do you will you buy another set of leathers
2: i mean if i intend to be competitive absolutely yeah. i need a set of leathers that is tighter it needs to have smaller pads right. it needs to be made of thinner leather i mean it's it's gone on to where like my njks are too slow you're young enough to think that there's maybe another set of leathers in your future
0: there's not in mine. I'm not <laughs> not unless right. they're for a motorcycle.
2: Right. Yeah, well, custom leathers are like four hundred bucks now.
0: Oh God. <laughs>
2: I know it's wild. Right. I could almost sponsor myself. Well, yeah. That's that's kind of what it's like these days. But but I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where it's like I I appreciate and I can take some solace in how I've known you in the sport from from when I met you, that you've been totally just enchanted to hang out and be a part of it, well past the point of wondering whether or not you could be world champion, you know?
0: Right, I've had so much more fun traveling and making a family out of everybody. You know, I was wondering if I'd ever done my speed limit age thing before, you know, 50 at 50, but a lot of the races fall in july when my birthday is july 23rd and in 2007 i would have been 37 years old and i was in Jungholz. Right,
2: you definitely went 37 and i probably
0: there. went 37 so so per like hour.
2: so at what age does that like speed on your birthday start to become relevant
0: Goes back to working out to do this sport, so the people that started to work out and do this sport were the ones who were starting to win. you know people who trained right will have longevity, people who train will have longevity, so this sport is all stretching, yeah, it's not um as much physical strength to me like or even respiratory. You right. Know, yeah, it's not, people, it's not
2: about cardio, but definitely yeah. physical strength and and physical endurance is going to be a big deal.
0: And and um, balance, you yeah. know, as you get older. So, right now, I've been like, I've been secretly don't tell anybody, but I've been working out and doing yeah, yoga and I, I stretching. I
2: won't tell anybody on this podcast.
0: And um, <laughs> I, I went to. Uh, one of the, are we allowed to say the names of roads anymore? I remember yeah. back in the day, you could I mean, if it's, it. if
2: it's sensitive, I'll bleep it. It's okay. Um,
0: I went to this pass and I felt really good, like better than I did when I was like 30, 35, because I was treating my body like a garbage can back then. You know, yeah. I'd go to a race and I'd, I'd end up, you know, uh, do I have my entry fee? Uh, not if I buy this case of beer. Um, you know, it was more about the beer, the party, winning the party, like you were saying. And um, now as I'm getting older, and especially with snowboarding, like, I, I get hurt putting my boots on. I don't get hurt riding on the mountain. I can go ride the mountain all day. It's muscle memory. My body right. can do that. But if I, you know, the bar hits me on the chairlift the wrong way, I could be done for a week, you know, because it just, like, uh, throws my neck out. I don't stretch. I think you could ride 60 at 60, 55 at 55. Um, yeah, I, I think the pendulum slide gets a little rough when you got to throw it sideways, at least for me. I mean, Coleman's been doing it all his life. You know, he can Right, do so,
2: so what caused you to not really get into the slide game? Because I maintain that kind of the only people from what I think of as your era – who really did it like who kind of were able to step into the next generation were Jimmy Flint and I guess uh I mean I don't want to give I don't want to say like JM and Rizzo cuz they I think they were on the cusp and they were kind of the forerunners of the next wave anyway but John Rogers kind of learned how to slide both ways pre-drifting corners you mean yeah like uh um it's a control thing.
0: I don't have a lot of control when I do it. But I but, was always better. But why at th- was it
2: not important to you?
0: Because I could foot brake. Okay. I could um, foot brake was a quicker stop for me. Like I could shut down. I could s- slow down much more rapidly with more control, and I had to learn how to do that while turning. Yeah. That was the tough thing. So as the courses became more turny. And those slides and drifting were sort of an advantage. Right. You know, at like, a, I don't know, like a Munsville or whatever track um, that had a hairpin. I would have to foot brake and then exit with more speed. Um, and I just learned how to do that over, bending over, grabbing the rail, putting the hand down. As I got older, I was just not flexible enough. Right. Um,
2: And you decided not to reinvent yourself and learn to do it.
0: I I don't know. If I decided... I mean, it wasn't like a... It was more physically the ability. Like, I guess if I decided I wanted to learn how to do it, I could probably, you know, have started yoga, you know, flexibility and training and working out to become more flexible. But I think... Yeah, it's just uh, the geometry of it, too. Being able to put my hand down on like a toe side. Yeah, I could never really do that confidently, and I would work at it. I'd throw my hand out there, grab the rail, thry, throw the board sideways, looking over, you know, do everything. I'd see all you cool kids doing in the magazines. and uh, I would high side, I'd do everything wrong. I couldn't I would not be able to do it with control. And the more I realized my foot break,
1: it's
2: like, why would I do anything else right It's like well, it's like I talked to Pete Connolly about that though like he's he absolutely can credibly slide both directions, but he decided to put the effort into really developing his foot because he just knew there was more potential in it for him to be effective, or like what uh Big Dave would say uh he's just trying to do what his dick's good at yeah i have... <laughs>
0: that's the other issue too is when I've had I've considered a penis reduction because my dick gets in the way when I bend over to do any kind of sliding like that so if I foot break my package stays where it needs to be rather than you know going into a corner and having your knee pinch the head of your penis (laughs) That's gonna. Not, yeah, I mean. That's I, gonna throw you off your line I'm gonna quicker than. To, I'm
2: gonna have to <laughs> take your word for it.
0: But, and, and especially now with COVID, any elective surgeries or, you can't have, a re- reduction or. Um, uh. So, hopefully with a
2: vaccine, I'll be able to get in and reinvent myself. All right, so I <laughs> I got to move up your list one more time. Because i got to get more of this.
1: Thanks for that. Uh,
2: <laughs> so you went to Pascapoo number one. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you go to all the Paskapoos? I don't oh, six, know. Oh, 07, 09?
0: Oh, I'd have to look at the t-shirt collection. <clears throat> I went to two at least. You I saw at one. That would have been 09, the last one. Okay, that was the last one. Winsport, sport, all that, there were controversies that I can try and think of too.
2: That might have been 2011 when it was an IGSA race and it wasn't Pascapoo anymore.
0: Okay, I did not go to that one. Yeah. I went to like oh, oh, 09. Um, I got stuck at the border.
2: Right, '09 09 year. was the one where <coughs> uh, Noah Weshe had to write a letter to the border to let you in. Yeah. Right, to like that said that that significant harm to the economy of Alberta right. would occur if Rob McHenry III was right. not allowed to enter the country. I it had was to prove to them
0: that if I wasn't allowed in their country, it would affect their economy. And we did that. So I was allowed into their country. <laughs> and I, um, what was crazy, though, is they kept sliding the little visa my way through the, like, okay, Mr. McHenry, we have your visa here. And then I'm like, oh, great, I'm reaching out for it. And they'd pull it back. And because the
2: dog
1: oh, pulled right. you so out of the Oh, right, so the up, story
2: is that the, the, dog, the dog went right yeah, to you. Yeah, I thought it liked me. <laughs>
0: and when it was licking me and wagging its tail, I was petting it. And I looked over at everybody else I was traveling with, and they just had this look of, like, you... You fucking idiot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the dog uh, signaled me, whatever they call it. Um, I went into the back room. They put on the rubber gloves. Um, I told them I had nothing. I was, like, ready to drop my pants. I'm like, there's nothing on me. I was panicking. I'm like, I don't have anything. They're like, we're not going to go there. I'm like, okay. And they found, like, the corner of a... Uh, a baggie in that little pocket in your jeans, that little like key pocket, um, and that was it. It was just like a little corner of a baggie I had forgotten about that had some marijuana in it. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I was allowed into the country. We spent the we spent twenty four hours at the border trying to get me into into Canada. That, right, I remember that, like you guys
2: showed up late for the race. Oh, probably. And it was like you and Joel Petra, Kyle Wester. <sighs> Sixteen year old Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> um Kevin Herring.
0: Yeah. And uh oh gosh, I can't think of the other kid's name that was with us, but it was a kid that we sponsored on Skunk Tech too. Um
2: Oh God. I know who you're talking about. Steve. Steve Doman. Doman, yep. Good guy.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, we had we had a fun time getting me into the country and um they told me never to come back. Um literally, like the Canadians were like, if you ever try to come here again, you're going to jail. Um, I haven't looked into that since then. <laughs> so <laughs> It's been a little uh, while. You might yeah. be all right. Yeah. So that's why I've never won Danger Bay. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Fuck.
2: I'm not allowed to. So, allegedly, Danger Bay 20 is going to be the last Danger Bay. Alleg- <laughs> allegedly. There's a Grand Master's class now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the age limit is for Grandmasters, but I think it, it might be 50. Oh, finally. Would you consider going back for one more? You could win a Danger Bay. You'd have to race like Wes Sampson. Oh, easy. Tad. Yeah. Tad can't make that left. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Tad's kind of kept his membership current. He might smoke you. He can't make that left. All right.
0: Tad can't turn left. You He's like Zoolander. <laughs> uh, he can't oh, see out of that Arrow helmet. That's true. He squints his eyes anyway; he can barely see. It. <laughs>
2: <laughs> also true.
0: No, um, I can beat Tad, um, <laughs> yeah. Wes. Yeah. I don't. I've never wait raced Wes. He's the oldest. He's from the island. Dust or something is his thing. I I forget. Oh, I don't know. He's Wes Sampson, is it? Yeah. 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 I don't know him.
2: I don't know who else is over. So I ain't scared.
0: Um, But yeah, 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 I um, I would love to do that. The the thing is, racing old guys, and this happens all the time because we've got these old guys in Colorado, um, I know better. I get sucked into racing them. They're always like, oh, come on, it's the old Colorado guys, or we're going to have a master's class. They always run into each other. They always take each other out. Yeah. And
2: I, I get caught up in a crash. Uh, so this is a, a this is a, a class of person that we in the business would call a grandpa,
1: <laughs>
2: and I think I think there's a distinction between old Colorado guys and Colorado old guys, and they are not <laughs> the same thing. Because uh, old Colorado guys know better. Colorado old guys do not. Yeah, the the dad cam. They should just stick to the dad cam. Just because your kid's in it
0: and you need to bond with your child doesn't mean you should get into speedboarding um,
2: at Whoa. fifty years old. Whoa! Throwing shade at Mark the Shark. Beat no, him. no, <laughs> no, Brutal. Marks. You know he's gonna listen to this too. He's gonna be upset. Uh, <laughs> let me think if Marks taking me out. Um, I doubt it. He's very respectful. He's only taken out a gravity biker at Mary Hill really bad.
0: <laughs> um, no. It, you know, I don't think it was Mark. Um, who was it that took me? Oh, it was, um, what's his name's dad? Peter. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh, Peter Morin? He yeah. All right.
0: Dude. Gate turn. Coming around. Gate turn. Um, He's squirrely, he's all over the track. He's inside, he's outside. I'm trying to just, I'm giving him room. I'm gonna get around him. His board is coming right into my board. I have no room on the outside left anymore. I'm running out of track. I put my hand on his board in between his feet to try and keep him from running into me. We pull that one off. I'm like, oh, that didn't happen, great. Straight away, head down, knee to knee, arms back. I'm looking down. Next thing I know, the back end of my board does a 180. Chin bar into the road. Pete's laying on me, riding me into the dirt.
1: <laughs> it's
0: good <dial>. style. <laughs> I got nothing but gravel and rocks coming into my helmet. Stop. See him get up, grab his board, and push down the road. I'm laying there in the dirt, like, oh. <laughs> Like, what just happened? I was on my way to catch limo. I was going to go get him. Uh, yeah, it was Pete. You okay? Like, no. <laughs> See you at the bottom. Um, yeah, old guys. Colorado old guys and old Colorado guys. I'll remember that. Not the same
2: thing. <laughs> So these days you know how do you feel like how do you feel about where you are in the grand scheme of of downhill skating and and the whole community you know I, like are you happy with the way you exist at this point or do you want something different um i'm happy with
0: emceeing and doing the announcing stuff that's always a lot of fun um I like being at the events. I like being um, part of it. But I think my role is also to show people that they need to take care of themselves with this. You know, like I'm starting to turn into the, uh, I don't know, I feel like the old guy's shaking his fist. You know, you kids, you know, put your helmets on and... Um,
2: and ironically, I'm under, the, I'm under the impression that you ride your motorcycle without a helmet.
0: No, I never, ever, ever would ride without a helmet. I hit an elk at 70 off, miles an I hour. I
2: saw you get on your Harley, put on fucking sunglasses and ride away. I saw you at Devil's Peak in the morning headed up the hill with a beanie on. And I don't mean like a, like a Harley guy helmet beanie. I mean like a wool hat beanie and sunglasses on. When I is, saw this with my face eyes, Rob. <laughs> when was when was Devil's Peak? This past summer. No, it wasn't. <laughs> like, when was that? <laughs> The same summer where you got lit up by the cops for revving your Harley like oh, you were the, fucking seventeen oh. in front of the brewery. <laughs> That's, Hell yeah, <laughs> there was fire coming out
0: of the tailpipes. So yeah, it was cool. No, I I I won't ride my bike without a helmet now. I never do. I I can't. If you saw me at this Devil's Peak, I swear, I swear I am I have not ridden without a helmet probably since then. I mean, really, if I was riding around Georgetown without a helmet okay. on, um that was rare for me.
2: Okay, but like I didn't see that you had a helmet with you. Like I thought you rode from Vail without a
0: helmet. No, okay. no, I wouldn't definitely not ride okay. on the highway without. And what's crazy is like for you to say that, I I, I have my, my helmet sits on my bike and my helmet's always around my bike. Now there were times where I probably would ride without my helmet. I'm just going to the post office. I don't do that anymore. Um I don't I, I have my helmet right next to my bike, so I can't walk by I see the I can't walk to the bike without passing my helmet.
2: On a related um, note, I remember when I was stranded at Jody's house for a week in two thousand nine when my car was broken on his fridge. Was a picture of the Vail Post Office with you like hitting the corner around Uh the sign, and it was like, and you'd handwritten your P.O. box number underneath the post office address so that he'd know how to get in touch with you.
0: It was my business card. Um, This one was like this
2: big. Yeah,
0: it it was a five by seven print of a photo, and I couldn't afford business cards. I probably just had prints made, and then yeah, you just write your name because the post office has a great turn. Yeah, right. it's a nice a yeah, little yeah. right-hander right there. Um, but yeah, the the But right. so
2: but you're 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 telling people to take care of themselves and that's something that I'm interested in talking about a little bit too with guys from your era because I'm definitely starting to like feel like I'm pulling on a little bit of a thread of head injuries from your time. Mm-hmm. And you know a lot of helmets that a like the Doc Go gofast helmets just had memory foam inside them not no, like nothing protective at all and then a lot of other shit were just like helmets got reused a lot people fell from standing tall a lot and there's a real like of that kind of graduating class of this you know EDI early IGSA era like probably a quarter of them are dead from yeah. suicide so i
0: I started taking care of myself in uh, more with more regard like around december and um, of
2: of twenty nineteen
0: yeah and it's so it's only been like you know seven eight months of me really looking into my own um symptoms of traumatic brain injuries um I've hit my head a lot um and i have the mood swings, the headaches, the ringing in the ears, um, trouble controlling my emotions, um, which are all mild symptoms because I've gone to traumatic brain injury support groups to find people who have caregivers, people who can't feed themselves, people who are chair-bound. Right, like because, I know a
2: little bit about this. and mm-hmm. My dad was in a really bad car accident probably 12 years ago and had a pretty significant TBI. So and I've seen a lot of this.
0: With your father, I'm guessing it was a one time car accident. Yeah. One time hitting his head. You know, and I ran into someone who um, did it in the bathtub. Right. One time. Fell in the bathtub, brain hit the back of the head, bounced so hard inside the brain, it went off the front, you know, they lose sense of smell, yeah. they lose sense of taste. And that's one time. You and I, I've seen you, I've seen you bounce off your face. I've got pictures at your race of me upside down on my head. I've hit my head many, many times. Now, what happened to your dad? What happened to this woman in the bathtub? Yeah. Those are one-time incidents is, is Everybody's TBI is different. Right. So you, you know, I think... Opening up to people about what I've gone through is a big deal for me now in this sport. And I I felt a little apprehensive because I wasn't one of those really paralyzed victims. I wasn't an invalid. I wasn't having all the, I wasn't having the major motor function skills that so many other people had. I felt kind of like, why am I saying I have a TBI if this person can't, you know, take care of themselves? Right, but this is
2: like, this is that, like, there's no such thing as small trauma. You know, and like, it comes from mental therapy perspective that like that's that person minimizing it for being like oh you know my parents didn't beat me so it wasn't bad even though they were verbally abusing the shit out of them like it's not there's no such thing as small trauma you experience it the way you experience it
0: and I can now because of the multiple traumas if I um hit my head on that shelf accidentally standing up I can see stars and almost have a mild concussion because I feel like I'm more susceptible to it, you know. Was well, like Jesse like,
2: Tynan. He's like, if he were to like wrap on his head with his knuckles, he'd pat, he'd black out. Like, so,
0: yeah, it's um, it's something that's reoccurring, and if you've gone through it a few different times, you recognize the symptoms. So, as you said, you know, a lot of the people that we know from EDI days and the older stand-up guys they're either taking their own lives they 're masking everything with drugs and alcohol that 's what i did i 've been masking everything with drugs and alcohol for
2: years right. that's and how you, I right. got and that 's w- another piece of that puzzle is like of the of, we're looking at twenty guys from the graduating class of Mammoth two thousand. Yeah, I mean several of them are dead from suicide. Another large portion of them have at least a history of serious substance use that they have recovered from or not you know, but we're looking at 50% of that population. Who's just kind of like, who's still feeling the after effects of this career. And I, I, if you ask me like, where's
0: my spot in the sport in the future, it's what I'm doing with the blog site that I've started safety third. So safety third blog is what I'm launching. And it's, something that I'm going to use to write about my own TBIs and what I've done, diet, exercise, things I've seen the positive effects from in my own um, control of the symptoms, the um, ways that diet and exercise, you know, I told you I run every day now. That's my medicine. My medicine is running every day. Um, I also have to eat right, and I take away the drugs and the alcohol that have been masking all of those those symptoms for years. And I'm starting to feel better. Well, that's something I can pass on to people, as well as you know, wearing a helmet all the time. Yeah. I had a you know I had a friend of mine who um, almost you know they they caught me with. Um, the idea that I was going to snowboard without a helmet. And they're like, you're starting a blog site called Safety Third, and it's about helmet safety and TBIs. You can't, you know. Um, So I'm trying to walk the walk, talk the talk all the time. Um, And that means sticking to that diet, that exercise, and uh, talking to more people about, you know, how to recognize the feelings and the emotions when... Your your uh, chemicals aren't firing right. Um, go into the diet again of the foods that help fire chemicals in your brain. I mean, there's science to it, right? And um, that's that's what the safety third blog is going to be about: is trying to stay in it and pass on the you know not only the love for the sport, but the love for the people and the the idea that you can go fifty at fifty, and maybe if you don't keep hip, hitting your head, you might be able to go sixty at sixty. Now tomorrow, I don't want to go fifty-five.
2: You just um, want to go fifty uh, yeah. point yeah, one.
0: Yeah, I don't need to. Go. I'll, I'll do that. i are not five really going to be able to control
2: there. that that well, I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, um, you know, I went to the X Games this year, and I couldn't believe there was nothing on helmet safety. It was just the craziest thing to be there, you know, watching guys do backflips on snowmobiles. And huck themselves 80 feet in the air on skis, you know. And there wasn't a booth anywhere around that mentioned anything about head injuries, traumatic brain injuries, or helmet safety. Yeah. You know, and that's not just in our sport. You know, in our sport, skateboarding, it's a high side crash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Snowboarding, it's a high side crash. And if you look at skiing... It's knees, skiers. Right. Skiers. This, this whole town was built on knee surgeries. Right,
2: spiral fractures. Like, grew some lower a, leg. It's impact. a different fall. Yeah.
0: On a snowboard, it's the rat trap. It's yeah. a high side. It's to your head, and the same thing with stand up.
1: Right. You don't
0: have much time to even put your hands out there.
1: Right.
0: You know, a lot of stand up guys. You don't see a lot of broken arms. You see True. dislocated shoulders and cracked helmets.
2: Now, the shoulders thing is kind of interesting. That's kind of faded away. There was a new NJK pattern around 2015 that made it so you could do this and fully mobile in your suit. Mm -hmm. People stopped popping their shoulders out. Shoulder injuries are like almost a thing of the past where they were ubiquitous in our era. Because when your arms couldn't go above here, if you just high side and put your hands out, it just went. Yeah. So that's changed a lot. But, you know, and this is a place where like I started to feel a little bit like a relic too where... Like, I I bricked my head four days ago coming off a horse in a S1 skateboarding helmet. And I, and I wear a skateboard helmet on horses because it, it carries a higher certification than an equestrian helmet. And it's also, they're, like, 60 bucks. So if when I corpse one, I can just get another one. Right. But it, like, makes me think about that, that in my world, in the horse world now, I'm one of the only people who wears a helmet. And people die all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And tons I mean, there are tons of old cowboys who are super TBI, and there's, no one's talking about it yet. But when I go to a horse show or something, or a, a clinic, especially like around Western people, people assume that I'm riding a particularly dangerous horse, and that's why I'm wearing a helmet. But I, I feel a little bit, you know, like, like I said, a little bit like a relic where my arrow helmets are not safe you know, they have liners in them from ski helmets that have, like, a centimeter, maybe, of EPS, way less than in anything that's, like, certified for biking or anything like a uh, TSG or the popular downhill helmets. And, like, they're... And most of the liners are, like, I buy helmets... I buy ski helmets on eBay. I've gotten so many of them. Like, I got, like, five or six of them once that all had uh, price stickers on them from a pawn shop in Idaho. Like, (laughs) but... I'm still so, I'm like, I'm so in love with the, the way it was and the, the, like the aesthetic and the, like what the arrow helmet meant to me from when I stepped into this and I saw the video, of the gravity games and saw the, you know, saw Gary Hardwick's fucking gear and was like, God damn, that's all I want that I don't know if I'm ready to change even though it's obvious, you know, it's so obvious that like I should have as much EPS foam on my head as I could possibly have to avoid a grim future. Mm -hmm. But that's part of my difficulty in whether or not I continue with the sport is like, do I want to change or do I just want to leave it where it was? And because if I'm going to keep doing it, I can't keep charging hard in ski helmets forever, you know, for some amount of time, surely. But like, I've fallen on my brain and stupid homemade pieces of shit. Like, how many more times can I do it without some kind of ramifications? Maybe a lot. Maybe a little. I don't know. But okay. I know I'm rolling the dice a lot less hard with more EPS. It, 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 as I got older, I'm, like, uh, wondering
0: the the thrill is so great. I love the thrill. Like, the speed, the, the visceral feeling. And when it's all going right, when it's all going right, it's great. And it can happen so quickly in a breath that it, you hit your head and there's nothing louder inside. Oh, totally there's true. Nothing, like it,
2: nothing compares to how loud it is when you it, hit your head hard.
0: It, and it rings. Yeah. And then if you wake up in the hospital, it's the most terrifying. Like, uh, I don't know how I got here. I don't even know if I'm alive. I've woken up in the hospital twice. To, you know, I've lost fifteen to twenty minutes of my life. I. I don't know if I can talk yet. I haven't said a word. And that feeling is like, I, I should never do this again. You know, I've I've looked at my buddy, looking over my feet, and on. Holy shit. What are we doing here? And he looked at me and he said, you've been talking for the last 20 minutes, dude. Right. And i like, I have no idea where I am. And you've been talking to the paramedics. You were telling them you didn't need a ride in the ambulance, you know. And it's just, I hit the one rock. The one rock that was there. I high-sided and hit the back of my head on it. So you can start to like, is it worth the thrill? Because a lot of things you can't control. I couldn't control the two little girls that ran out in front of me. Right, I mean, but like you like, have to
2: reconcile that the same thing of riding a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, I mean, and then like if I ride with a helmet all the time now, I, I promise. But but the, the speeds thing is, are
2: so much higher. Like, what about the one douche nozzle doing a three point turn on the mountain pass and like right. there's no chance.
0: So I you know hit the elk at 70 miles an hour and walked away. About two, three weeks ago, at five miles per hour, the bike fell over on my left foot, and I couldn't get up. I was trapped underneath my 650-pound motorcycle, and it felt like it broke my foot. That was a much more painful crash than hitting an elk at 70 miles an hour it still hurts i don't know if i'll be able to skate i mean i'm like holy shit so it it, it what i'm trying to say is like the 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 slower low impact i had no idea that was going to happen like you can't say like it's more dangerous to ride motocross than it is to ride on the highway or is it more dangerous to ride motocross than it is to ride on the, is it more dangerous to ride a skateboard at 50 or 10 right you know uh, on my snowboard, if I catch an edge at less than 20 miles an hour, I'll leave a dent in the snow shaped like my head. If I'm doing 30 or 40, I might slide. Right. Oh, um, I totally agree with that. Way more yeah.
2: likely to hit your head at low speed on a skateboard than at high speed. But,
0: and, and I, I, I think the longevity in the sport, it comes down to like, you know, okay, you gotta have, is it worth the thrill Is it worth that sound of hitting your head on the pavement? Because that could happen at any moment. You don't know when Pistol Pete's going to tackle you. Right. And that also, you know, like, I get lucky now. If I go to Maryhill and I don't crash, I feel like, holy shit, I came away from this weekend without, you know, without a crash. That's awesome. I know.
2: It was the last time I was at Barrett. (laughs) Rode the whole weekend. And I was on the start line for the finals, thinking, "Man, I've been at Barrett the whole weekend. I've skated every run. And I haven't crashed once. God damn it! I crashed in that final." <laughs> yeah,
0: I um, I don't like that. I don't like that that sound in my helmet. I don't like that month that it takes to recover. You know, twenty years ago at Mary Hill, I could have crashed like half a dozen times in a day, and gone to work, you know, on that Monday, no problem. Yeah. Now you got to take a breath. And it takes a minute you got to figure out which side of the bed to roll over on, you know, is this arm going to work? Can I wipe my own ass today? I mean, that gets to the point where you're like, fuck this, man. I I I is there a jigsaw puzzle? Like <laughs> there's kinda, like I you should have a Venom jigsaw puzzle. For old guys who still want to like, uh, I Bro, can't. Write sk- that down. I can't skate anymore.
2: I <laughs> need a jigsaw puzzle.
0: I can't skate anymore, but yeah. I could have put this puzzle it's an together. Image
2: of all of our sad faces. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, "I can't skate anymore." <laughs> but
0: I'm trying. I'm trying to do this whole like fifty at fifty thing and the blog site, you know. Um, to stay in it. And and um that's how I'm gonna stay in it. I'm not gonna go to I don't know, maybe Danger Bay Masters. Teutonia. Grandmaster Teutonia. <laughs> That'll be my <laughs> seventy at seventy. Whoa. You can just like uh,
2: duct tape me to the board. Okay, sixty at sixty. Going seventy Teutonia to is pretty hard. I don't think I can go seventy to Teutonia. Um, like only DeLua and Kevin go 70, Teutonia. Weren't there records there at 77? No, it was a bunch of bullshit. Oh, was it? Okay. GPS and shit. No, it's like, Teutonia's a hill where people could crack 70, and the pavement's only gotten worse.
0: How do we, um, know 50 tomorrow? Is there GPS, or do we just have a car? We
2: guess. We'll GPS it. Yeah, and maybe, Roll, you get like, is it like Snapchat have Speedo? Yeah, I got that. I got that. Like, Roll, like, skate next to you with the Snapchat, like... Really? Yeah, Yeah. we'll have like a GPS app. Um, Oh, we got we got a whole plan. We're gonna get this. It'll be pro. Sweet. Plus, I'm not skating, so I'm gonna get all the nice artsy shots. You know. (laughs) Sweet. I'm gonna go to bed.